hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Lore Beards. Hopefully everyone can hear us okay. Uh, if you're in the audience, please do let us know uh, if audio levels are good and all that jazz while we kind of have this segment where we're just chatting for a bit. Uh, for anyone that is maybe new or does not know, I am Loremaster of Sotek. Uh, I am someone that comes to uh, from a heavy background in Warhammer Fantasy lore, particularly the later editions, from like 6th edition to 8th edition and the end times and such. Um, and uh, I am joined by my co-host here, Nathan, or also known as Great Book of Grudges. Yep. Yeah, my name is Nathan from the Great Book of Grudges. Uh, my background is mostly competitive tabletop play for Warhammer Fantasy. Going back from uh, 5th edition up to 8 and 8.5, still carrying the flame for that. Uh, I love my lore too, but uh, the the true expert here is uh, Lawmaster Sotek. Well, <laughs> uh, uh, and we, we do have some uh, interesting other things um, that maybe we'll explore one day in the future uh, uh, about kind of some really uh, interesting perspectives we have on the hobby. But um, we do have quite a few subjects lined up for today. Uh, that we're going to get into uh, here in just a little bit. But uh, real quick, uh, I, I, it just kind of occurred to me, but Nathan, when, when you were playing uh, competitive, because we were both pretty heavy into competitive play, uh, what, what, was your, what was your main? Um, my main army during 8th edition at that point was mostly Skaven and a um, Zinchian Chaos Warrior build, because obviously that really tasty free up board save was just... Uh, <laughs> I, I hate both of those answers. <laughs> um, uh, awesome. So, uh, and uh, for those of you watching, thanks for coming in uh, earlier. We'll, we'll kind of stumble around for a minute to give people just a minute to remember this thing exists and to hop in. Uh, one of these days we'll get like an intro or something. I'm I've got things in the works <laughs> to give us a little bit more fanciness. But um, uh, uh, any any uh, exciting particular news? What have you been up to this week? So whether much, whether hobby wise or just stuff you're dealing with or what have you. Well, I've been sorting out this for um. <laughs> what? <laughs> what what is that? That's a lot of square bases, because I am actually trying really hard this year to take part in Armies on Parade uh, with a Suneshi Old Hammer uh, build. So going back from 3rd uh, edition minis with a really nice conversion, and uh, just trying to mix in the new Hedonites too, because I had this really cool idea with uh, a Chaos War Shrine, but with the... I keep forgetting his name, but you know the, the big dude in the... Um, Shrine, I keep forgetting what his name was, but he came out for Age of Sigma. Uh, Glutos? Oh, Glutos Arskillian. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm putting him on a Chaos War Shrine, the old school one, and I'm using his two big creatures as um, as chariots, too, because they just look kind of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, the, the, I mean, they'd fit like Gorbis or something brilliantly. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just like I wanted something really visual. Uh, so it's just a little bit of fun with that. What about you? What have you been up to this week? Uh, okay, so one thing I have to draw attention to because it's cracking me up is that I was looking at those boxes on the ground in the background. And I like that despite being a world away, <laughs> we have the same boxes. Um, but I, I magnetized uh, the bottom of this. So that's like a sheet of magnets. And what I've been doing is magnetizing my night haunts so that 
when they transport, they don't fly around. Um, Small idea. So, uh, a few days ago, I started painting some new night haunts. So, I'm trying out uh, some different ways to achieve a color scheme, but all of them have magnets on the bottom of the bases. So that they're not very strong magnets. Like, they're strong enough that I could put them in that and, like, kind of shake it and they don't move. But if I were to, like, throw it at the wall, <laughs> they would go flying everywhere. You know, that way uh, it's not, like, a hindrance how much of a magnet uh, strength they have on them. But it also helps weigh them down a bit because Nighthawk minis are so they're so light. Um, so it, this makes them a little more sturdy, a little less prone to falling over. But I've been doing some uh, good hobbyist stuff, built a few new minis. Uh, I made a new uh, Lady Ollander because the one that I had was all busted and I was tired of it. So I just bought a new one. Um, but yeah, have you been up to any uh, hobbyist stuff? Uh, have, you, have you started any like painting or anything for your armies on parade? Not so much. I've been building. Um, I've got a lot of the minis uh, just there. It's just I've been bringing in stuff. Like I finally started moving in the Tomb Kings into the room. And I've got to start doing it with the rest of the armies. Um, but I've been building up with the board, which is currently drying outside because I uh, used a lot of millipot to um, make it like uh, you know like bricks on the floor and stuff like that. Because I'm trying a design. I'm not sure if I'm even going to be able to do this on time, but. Um, it, it took a lot of time. I, I think it was like four different packs of Millipot in total with the um, with a roller from Green Stuff World, which is fantastic, you know? But it's just been nonstop with just getting like plans done, cutting up models. I've got uh, my old Chaos Warriors currently sitting on Dettol to strip them down to. So, like, there's, there's going to be a lot of work for this project. <laughs> gotcha. Awesome. Well, I look forward to... Um... Uh, when you get some good progress on it, we'll have to put some pictures up so people can see. Though I'm sure they'll yeah. be on your uh, Twitter. Um, uh, which reminds me, uh, just real quick, for anyone curious uh, or anyone listening to this afterwards, uh, we have started uh, uploading this in a podcast format if you would prefer to just listen to it and not have to deal with looking at our faces <laughs> for getting your Warhammer stuff. So... Um, I am doing my best to expand that onto some more platforms as well. We should be going onto Apple here sometime before the start of next week because um, we've had some requests there. So uh, just keep your eyes out for that on uh, places where you can pick that up. Uh, but without further ado, I think we are ready to get started on today's first topic. Uh, Nathan, why don't you uh, take us into it? Because this is kind of this is kind of uh, closer to your heart than mine, I think. <laughs> get the uh thing on it's the Slaneshi one isn't it yes we are we're talking about Slaanesh this week yeah. all things Slaanesh and uh, in particular the history of Slaanesh uh in the hobby yeah so like uh Slaanesh has uh we're, we're going to be covering quite a bit because obviously there's been loads of radical changes we're obviously not going to talk about the extreme stuff because you know <laughs> but so oh, yeah, only, just... only through a heavy, la heavy layer of ins uh, insinuation, so we don't get demonetized. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But Slanesh to me uh, is my favorite Chaos God. There have been loads of different gods introduced into the Warhammer Fantasy universe, including loads of different Chaos Gods, not just the main four, which everyone knows, but Slanesh to me is the, the one that always spoke out to me the most, the, the pretty color schemes and so on. We've always had a cool representation, more so in the 
Warhammer Fantasy roleplay setting, I'd say, because obviously she had her own dedicated book, but didn't all the Chaos Gods have their own books too yet? Yeah, so if if so let so let's start at the beginning, right? Uh, if, if if we kind of go back to um, the '80s or early '90s, at least, uh, uh, you know, starting like in third edition, at least when Warhammer really became Warhammer, um, you know, before then it was really just kind of like a glorified role playing game. Um, but third edition is where it became more of like a tactical game, and the, it, we start to see recognizable elements um, mm. to today's um, stuff. So. Slanesh, for those unaware, um, Slanesh is the, uh, nowadays is known formally as the god of excess. Um, but back in the day, uh, particularly around the 80s and the 90s, Slanesh was more like the god of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, <laughs> would probably be the best way to describe it. And it was, Slanesh was very edgy. Um, a lot of Warhammer was very edgy back then. Um, there was a lot of, um... Uh, Slash minis were kind of infamous for being a little gratuitous as far as having having just as many boobs as you could fit onto a metal mini, uh, <laughs> particularly with the giant snake monsters and stuff, um, to the point where, uh, uh, I th I, especially like even some of the old artwork was very edgy um, and borderline uh, inappropriate for younger audiences. Um, but, um, but, um, uh, it was it was unfortunate because Slash was almost kind of a very narrow minded um, design back then. You know, yeah. I was I was recently watching a a a, a video from um, Overly Sarcastic Productions. I don't know if you're aware of them, where they talked about um, queer coded villains uh, as something in like the early uh, film industry for America, where there's a lot of things in the West where like. It wasn't really socially acceptable to talk about like a lot of those kinds of things, and so they ended up being villains. And Slanesh is almost kind of like the perfect representation of that, you know. Where if you go back far enough, Slanesh was like this weird system where every all the order or good guy races were a lot of them were very pure and noble, and then Slanesh was like everything that didn't fit into that neat little box. Um, yeah. Which I think draw, drew a lot of people to Slanesh, and that Slanesh uh, had a lot more expressionism associated with it um, compared to a lot of the other gods. Um, and uh, but as we got into later editions, t tell me about what was what was your experience with Slanesh when you joined the hobby, like around fifth and sixth edition. So at that point, we obviously had a bit more of a fleshing out for Slanesh. I mean, that's when we started getting characters like. Uh... Like Sigvald introduced and so on, and Strika, I always keep mispronouncing his name, um, Azazel. We started seeing a driven god with goals rather than just, like you said, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, where it was, uh, Sinesh was more introduced to be very influential and having a lot of cults hidden around the empire and so on. It's very much. Um, People could rival it in the sense of a different version of like the purple hand, which was obviously Zinch. And that's kind of what like drew me a little bit into it. It's like it's a cult, but they're not really hiding it too well because it's kind of like, oh look, it's sex cult. And everyone seems to think it's just like a weird sex cult rather than, oh, you're secretly worshipping chaos. Whereas the influence would breed in through there. It was always really, like, it was in your face, but not being in your face, if it kind of makes sense, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, no, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, and, and, you know, and uh, for a lot of people, that was one of kind of, I guess, the critiques of Slanesh, uh, against Slanesh uh, back in those, like, 6th edition days, was that Slanesh kind of got pigeonholed compared to the other three gods. Um, yeah. um And, like, in particular, that it was it was almost kind of a meme of, like, you'd have all of your, like, normal players at a tournament or whatever, and then there'd be the Slanesh guy <laughs> who would show up with an army and like whether his army was just going to be the official minis or or um like the kind of army where you he they put down you'd be like ooh <laughs> I, can't, I can't take pictures of your army <laughs> but um but that started to change um going into later editions uh, especially because it it almost seems like slanesh I, I don't want to say this was intentional, but Slanesh, particularly in the older editions, just frankly had really bad rules as far as, like, Slanesh was very difficult to play um, and was not very well developed um, and, had like, it was very edgy and it seemed, like, drawn to try and pull people in, but, like, um, and I don't know if you can flesh this out a little bit more about your experiences playing in the earlier editions, like 5th, 6th, and 7th. Well, let's say 5th and 6th. But right. uh, my memory uh, is that in 5th and 6th especially, even in 7th, Slanesh was terrible. Like, just awful. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like um, like I said, favorite Chaos God, but wouldn't play it because it was just... It was just not good. And people would complain. I mean, back in the day... Um, we, you you know you could usually send in the emails and stuff like that and you get a decent amount of responses sometimes and it's like this needs to be fixed this needs to be fixed but Sinesh always got kind of shafted uh like you said it, it was a intro god because of course you had the whole sex appeal because you know the diaz minis stuff like that i mean it was just pretty much naked demonettes but there was no actual push to make Sinesh as good or close to being as good as the other three gods but then again chaos in terms of the additions was always kind of weird because like who would have thought by the end of eighth zinch would be the strongest in terms of melee combat you know and that, that just confused me like yeah. massively yeah 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 corn definitely got shafted once we got laid enough into the additions but mm. um you know, one of the things that I found super interesting about Slanesh is is that in those earlier editions, the big problem with Slanesh is it really just felt like Games Workshop didn't know what to do with Slanesh on the tabletop. Like, they loved writing Slanesh's villains in a lot of books. Um, if you read a lot of Black Library books from the late 90s um, or the very early 2000s, um, Slanesh was a major hit. Um, uh, I, I would say that um, Slanesh was probably one of the most popular because they could just make him ridiculous. Um, and there were certain kinds of non-consensual acts that Games Workshop really liked to just kind of throw out to try and establish how scummy a villain was. Um, but, um, and, and Slanesh, so Slanesh was almost kind of this, um, like, propped up target of like, ah, look how, look how evil Chaos is, you know, um... But Slanesh wasn't ser terribly threatening in that it had, like, a very subpar uh, magic system. Um, I think early Slanesh had armor piercing, but that was, like, it. Because, always, you know, Always Strike First didn't exist yet. Um, yeah. It was more of an... It was, a, it was an initiative-based system. But in the earlier editions, you know, 
well, you know this, but for chat, uh, the problem with earlier based edition systems when it came to initiative was that if your opponent charged you, they got to go first regardless of how fast you were. So Slanesh, just its only gimmick was that it had like, oh, one armor piercing. Great. <laughs> you know, back in the days of like, I'm easily getting down to twos or less than twos to save. Um, yeah. But but then but then seventh edition happened, and I, while I think Slash definitely got even better in eighth, seventh edition introduced the concept of always strike first, yeah, um, which really changed the game up for Slanesh. It was uh, it was a game changer all around, to be honest, because that just uh, that that rule is is glorious, especially for like elves, and it, it did help the Slaneshi forces out a lot a lot. Then again, demons did get kind of broken because that was a certain someone's addition who his name will not be spoken about here. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to tabletop rules, yeah. Uh, that's that's true, that's true. That Yeah, that book did kind of just break the game in half. Um, uh, but uh, like, but Slanesh did, did see some like really interesting mileage and you're right that we started to see interesting characters pop up. You know, Sigvald became kind of the patron um representative of slanesh and he was not really i like he you know he kind of had that sex drugs and rock and roll f a flair but he was more of just like supreme arrogance and like mm -hmm. pride embodied as opposed to just like a character who was just like a deviant <laughs> that was like their only thing uh, we also saw the redevelopment of the mask into more of like a punishment of excess where she would, this demon would appear if you were partying too hard and she would punish all the party goers. Um, and, and then of course you had Nakari who was unfortunately the punching bag of every edition. Um, but uh, the time, was that the time that we also had the, uh, the redo of these uh, Sigma books too? Yeah, so that that was in uh, that was a seventh edition was I believe when they started rewriting or they really started going ham on what were known as the Time of Legend series, um, mm -hmm. and that resulted in the Sigmar trilogy, which of course the second book, which a lot of people thought uh, on picking it up was going to be about Morcar, is not about Morcar. It's actually more about Azazel. My boy, my yeah, boy. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to feel free to talk a little bit about Azazel. I absolutely love this character. Like, I, I, I've got two of his mini. I've got one painted, and I've still got another one new in box because I, I didn't want to, like, uh, just in case, you know, I just wanted to have it there for my collection. He's a demon princess in Ash. He's actually from the same tribe as Sigma himself, almost killing Sigma way back in the day. This is a character which is one of those very few that can literally say, you know, I almost killed uh, Sigma Heldenhammer. And that it's it's a big thing. He's, he's got one of the best quotes in the law, you know? Like, I think anyone who does a law video on him usually starts off by citing that specific quote, you know, about uh, falling to temptation and so on. It's just, it's so, so good. Like, the character had a lot of depth and it brought a new element of just bringing Sonesh into the playing field. This was a big character. Same as Sigvald, eventually, we started getting some characters that finally made a lot of sense because yeah we had some cool characters prior to that you know we had Dachala and so on but when it came to chaos obviously we had one character one model maybe mentions of two or three other characters and that's it 
and everyone else got loads of stuff. And Azazel came out here, and he just appeared out of nowhere. It was one of the first few named demon princes, too, that had a model, too, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. So, obviously, for Suneshi fans, that's, that was a really big thing. And, yeah, like, the model hasn't really aged well, but it's still one of my favorites to look at. It's just, like, it's just so good, you know? Yeah, well, it, it yeah. certainly has a very striking... And I, I did put it up on my stream for anyone that wants to see it or catch it in the VOD, but um, it has a very striking visual design. And, um, like you said, Azazel was particularly interesting because, I, if memory serves, he's, he's literally Sigmar's brother-in-law. Like, he's not just, like, part of his tribe. He's, like, part of his family. Um, yeah. Because uh, he was the brother of the woman Sigmar loved. And, um, but, so you had these, like, really cool characters uh, popping up. And Slanesh started to really get some development. Um, uh, and leaning more into that temptation angle, which, like uh, Nathan said earlier... One of the things we really got to see in kind of the RPG setting was that the RPG guys really started to work really hard on Slanesh as kind of the Prince of Temptation. You know, take... I mean, Slanesh has always been a very Satan analog uh, character. You know, the Prince of Darkness, the, um, you know, the this beautiful, strange, unknowable creature that lures people into sin and temptation until they end up falling because they played Magic the Gathering or D&D too much, <laughs> as they warned us in the 90s. But um, uh, it, the the they started to do a lot of really interesting things with trying to pull Slanesh away from just being a pure sex fiend and being more about, you know, in 40k, we saw a lot of focus on like noise marines and uh, things about like cacophonic sound, um, where it was more like sensations taken to an extreme to where they become deadly. Whereas in fantasy, they started really focusing on how Slanesh works within civilizations. Um, and that it used to be that, like you mentioned with the Purple Hand, Zinch was the chaos god that you had to fear if you lived in civilized society. We're like, oh, Zinch is skulking around every corner, and, you know, there are plots within plots, and wizards and all this stuff. But then, uh, especially in, like, the second edition Warhammer Fantasy roleplay RPG, um, they really started doing, like, you know what? In society, you have to worry about Slanesh, because when people get comfortable, people get bored. And when people get yeah. bored, they start turning to hedonism. Um, you know, they start engage or you know, they start engaging heavily in trying to find excitement or pleasure in a life that otherwise doesn't have those things. And that led to um Slanesh becoming, I think, one of the more popular gods when it came to having cults within like safe zones. Yeah. I mean, but we, we started noticing that uh Slanesh's influences wasn't just in in the human nations too, like it was very common through uh, even high elf territories in Ulfwan and so on, which is rare. And that's why for me that was like really impressive out of that god because obviously any sort of chaos magic and stuff like that seeping into Ulfwan is like next to impossible in most cases. But that's like when we start getting all the stuff with the Chala and so on. So like it was impressive you know yeah and, and that's a great uh point to kind of focus on for a minute is that slanesh did have a very deep and intrinsic relationship with elves um mm -hmm. the 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 original reason 
or the original cult of pleasure started by Morthy, which kind of led to the whole incident of the Sundering, which was their civil war, was Slanesh. Um, it was retconned in later editions to be um, Authority, but um, Authority didn't exist back then. <laughs> it was just Slanesh. Um, so you're right that one of the things that made Slanesh so impressive, and I, I think this is something Games Workshop tried really hard to work on that they started to finally hit their stride with, was the idea that Slanesh was the youngest of the four major powers, but there was always, you know, the Games Workshop introduced a prophecy where the reason Slanesh is known as the Dark Prince is because he is prophesized to become the strongest eventually um, and to overtake his brothers. And um, we uh, and we kind of see how his influence is very unique compared to the other three, because the other three would never have a chance in hell at corrupting a non-human race traditionally, whereas Slanesh got really in there with the elves. I mean, he was bed buddies big time. Exactly, and like uh, Sanesh, uh, I, I remember reading it was this theory on I think it was probably the Under Ender uh, Under Empire website where someone had a theory where because obviously the other Chaos Gods they they focus on you know learning and war and so on, but if a core knight takes pleasure in killing, that is further empowering Sanesh. If a Zinchin takes pleasure in learning, that's further empowering Sanesh. Yeah, and and I, I that's you know that's what makes being the god of excess so strong is that um, no matter what, especially chaos, which never does anything subtly, <laughs> you know they're always all in, um, and uh, Slanesh is able to take advantage of that. But um, you know, with with the Dark Elves, we got to see some really cool development with Slanesh in that Morathi was almost uh, Morathi always had this really interesting, if you go back far enough, had this interesting design where she kind of had one foot in both camps. You know, on yeah. one hand, she was really big with Cain, who was like the evil god of the elven pantheon, and then the other foot, she was with Slanesh. And that, you know, the, the story with Morathi, for anyone not aware, is the first time we ever meet Morathi in the lore is that she was essentially like a, a seeress or a prophetess, kind of. She was like really, really good at being able to like see the future. And uh, she was captured by a roving band of Slanesh demons. And for some mysterious reason, they didn't kill her um, long enough that Anarian and all of his buddies were able to ride up and save the day. And so they ended up, um, they ended up saving Morthy um, from the clutches of the demons. But it's very kind of heavily implied that Morathi was probably not in any genuine mortal danger, um, mm -hmm. likely because she had made some kind of pact with them, because that's what Morathi specializes in. Because you can't talk about Slanesh and not talk about Morathi. Um, yeah. And that Morathi is a character that specializes in making uh, pacts with demons or gods. Um, she's very good at striking deals and making sure it doesn't come back to bite her in the ass. Or at least, like, entangling her deals to the extent that, like, she's playing the people that want to call her debts against each other. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it was Morathi who really introduced Slanesh to the elves as not an enemy. Because, of course, during the Great Cataclysm, Slanesh was the primary antagonist for the elves. Yeah. Um, because Slanesh loves elven souls more than any other because they can experience far more intense sensations than any other. But um, 
that led us to the Storm of Chaos, um, which the Storm of Chaos was, I think, a very exciting time for Slanesh and Dark Elf fans because it introduced the actual Cult of Pleasure. And that was a fantastic list, which was actually playable. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about... Uh, 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 I, did you have any experience playing the Cult of Pleasure? And if you did, could you like kind of walk us through the playstyle of the army and like what it was? What was, what was so fun and different about it? So uh, it was a mixture of both... Uh, well, actually, it was a mixture of three different things, to be honest. It had Chaos Warriors, it had uh, Dark Elves, and it had Demons. And it was all purely Sunashi-themed. A lot of stuff was changed around. It was pretty much to the point that you were learning three armies, but in all reality, it was none of the good stuff from all three. But mixed up, they actually paired really nicely. It was... Uh, it was during a time that, of course, Games Workshop were experimenting with theme lists and so on. But I think that Sinesh played out very well. I remember playing a campaign in my local GW. Well, it's not really local. It was two hours away. But I stayed the weekend over there. And we were playing. And it was actually fairly competitive. I remember it was, uh, I think it was the, the, the Sineshi Noble with, paired up with a bunch of Chaos Warriors. Uh, it, it was just so long ago because... But I remember, I remember not doing so badly. I didn't win, but that was at a point that it was satisfying to play because you obviously had a lot of really cool stuff with, with the mixture. And I don't think any other list was that heavily mixed. Because, well, yeah, you had Middenheim, which was Kit Bash. Yeah, oh, yeah. This yeah was I, I believe it was the only genuinely mixed army. Yeah. Um, and it was sorry Karen because uh, it, it, uh, for anyone unaware the, the Storm of Chaos like uh, Nathan said introduced a lot of sub-factions um, it was really the first time in fantasy well it wasn't the first time but um, in fantasy they had ideas of sub-factions that were introduced in various army books for instance if you own the 6th edition Lizardmen book at the very back there were rules for playing Southlands Lizardmen which were slightly different um, it had some unique units but um, the Storm of Chaos they really ran with it to the extent where they introduced the Cult of Pleasure, which we're going to keep talking about a little bit more, but they also had, like, the Slayer Army of Karakadrin, where you could take new kinds of Slayers and an all-Slayer Army. Um, they also had, the, the like you mentioned, the, the, the Wolves of Mindenheim, or the, uh, um, there was, like, a Crusade list for Bretonia, like an Tree War list. There was uh, Clan Eshin. Clan Eshin got their uh, army list introduced, where they had the Clan Eshin Sorcerers, and um uh they're, they're they were all over the place not uh sea lord island was introduced as a playable character uh because we got the we got the uh the sea guard for the high elves so a lot of these armies had unique sub factions introduced that had a lot, a lot of really cool unique rules and many of them were very powerful um the the slanesh one though was the only one if memory serves that actually introduced a genuine mixed army uh, yeah. As far as that, not only were you taking elves, uh, but you were taking, like he said, Warriors of Chaos, uh, Marauders, and Demons. You know, you could have a Keeper of Secrets on the table. You could have Demonettes as core. You could have Marauders and stuff, which was great for the Dark Elves. Um, being such an elite army, being able to have disposable chaff units was great. Um, and we've actually seen a lot of these armies. Uh, most of them, in fact, have appeared now in Total War Warhammer. Um, not all of them have been fully developed to the extent that we hope, but like Deathmaster Snitch is literally just the, uh, Eshin army from, um, that time and got all of the characters and magic and stuff. 
yeah. I think both me and Nathan would really like to see Morathy get the full treatment during Warhammer 3, where maybe she could get access to some demons, uh, maybe like uh, like and maybe like one of the warrior units that will probably come with the the mono Slanesh army to just let yeah. her, you know, really embrace that classic uh, cult of pleasure design. Um, it would be really cool, especially since like uh, they could just supplement getting rid of some stuff because it's possible. I've been seeing it lately because uh, like I've been experimenting with, with modding myself and learning from from some modders and they, they've actually done a cult of pleasure and like bringing in like the uh the modern demonettes and stuff like that it's very possible i think ca could do that and it would get a massive kick out of the old gods from sixth edition who are definitely playing this game you know yeah and and, and it just kind of fits because clearly the morathy of total war warhammer uh 2 is designed after her storm of chaos iteration where while she does, you know, still have all the Hakardi and authority and all that other stuff, she spreads chaos corruption, which she wouldn't be doing <laughs> if, if she wasn't leaning on that old thing. And it would also potentially introduce a really cool new character in that uh, one of the the only, if memory serves, the only unique model that we had um, for the Cult of Pleasure back to the Storm of Chaos were known as the Anointed of Slanesh, which were, uh, they were essentially like mini Malice Dark Blades. So they were they were dreadlords who made bargains with demons to be possessed by the demons, um, which made them really really powerful. So it it would kind of be like you wouldn't have a dreadlord, but instead you'd have this guy with a way better stat line <laughs> because he had a demon inside of him, um, which was just awesome. And they actually fought against the lizardmen because uh, I I remember the Storm of Chaos campaign very well in that. A lot of the armies were like in matchups and you could report them to your local hobby store or on the website um, back in ye internet days. But uh, I, I, I remember playing games against the Anointed because uh, I played Lizardmen and the whole point with the uh, Slaneshi forces is that they were invading Lustria. So there were a lot of thematic battles for the Storm of Chaos between the Lizardmen and the, uh, and the uh, Cult of Pleasure, which was just super fun. We had a, a tournament uh, in the Malaga Games Workshop, so it's about two hours drive away, and it was really really cool because the store owner went like full ham, getting like artwork put up on the walls and stuff like that. It, it was it was great. It was it was like one of the best events ever, especially because it was like it was like the original end times. Let's be very very honest. There. It was yeah, the yeah, origin. it was uh, absolutely. But, like, it was just done in such a way, and the lore was good, the, the theme list was fantastic. I know a lot of people, like, one of my next-door neighbors has a Karakadrin army, right? Like, it's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and that's, like, all metal. <laughs> like, it's literally all metal. If he takes the, um, the GW uh, mini box, man, like, you could kill someone by slapping them with it, because it's just, you've got this really heavy-ass box, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, I I think to kind of uh, get to the end of the Slanesh discussion, let's let's talk about where Slanesh is now. So um, th there's a really interesting story behind Slanesh for anyone not super familiar with Games Workshop and kind of the shenanigans where it's heavily implied by a lot of people that know people or uh, catch on to rumors and stuff that Slanesh was essentially going to be put out to pasture, um, and that when Warhammer Fantasy went through the end times. Um, Slanesh was the least featured of the gods um, mm -hmm. and was the only one who did not really get any kind of showcase. Uh, Nakari was permanent, perma-killed 
um, in uh, one of the opening stages of Kane, and none of the other Slanesh special characters except for Sigvald made an appearance, and Sigvald, of course, had an, a rather ignoble end <laughs> after killing Krell. But um, uh, between 40k and uh, going into AOS, it seemed very heavily implied that Slanesh... Games Workshop, the Games Workshop at the time, who a lot of people didn't like, and <laughs> myself included, um, were trying to get rid of Slanesh because they just viewed him as not... Um, advertiser friendly, I guess. Uh, not you know he was just a little too too much. Um, so a lot of the 40k elements of the Sons of the Emperor or whatever they're called were being heavily pushed to the side, and of course Slanesh in Age of Sigmar was no longer even a Chaos God. Um, Slanesh had been captured by the elves off screen <laughs> and was imprisoned and was no longer active, and it was very strange. Um, but um, they went through um, a significant restructuring at the company and brought in a lot of really clever uh, members of like the older days. And Slanesh was heavily reinvented to purely be the god of excess, but taken to its extreme, where we started seeing excess in the sense of being the best possible warrior, being a glutton, being greedy being wrathful, being uh, the best archer, um, trying to indulge in or hunt and indulge in sensations. Um, and uh, I'd really like to hear Nathan talk a bit about how you felt once we were finally revealed, not that long ago, to be frank, about this new direction that they're taking Slanesh in. So uh, I saw, I heard all the rumors, the same as you did and so on. And uh, it was kind of weird as a Sineshi fan because in 8th edition, uh, Sinesh was living a golden age with the Demon Army. It was so micro-intensive. If you knew how to play it, you could win constantly. So we thought, oh, this is going to go well. Then the end times happen. And we're like, well, you know, if Sinesh was doing well during 8th, logic would dictate that that would carry over to Age of Sigma. At least... We thought so. Then all the rumors started happening. Uh, it became a bit of an issue because obviously then GW started mentioning older Chaos Gods which had been removed from the law prior, like Nekoho and so on. So a lot of us were thinking, oh god, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the replacement is going to be a freaking god of atheism or something. You know, it's going to be a matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, then obviously the, the stirring started happening again, talking about the twins. And we're like, oh, okay, something's happening. They're mentioning Sinesh a lot more. Now, me being pure panic mode, I was thinking, oh, God, they're mentioning Sinesh a lot because it's going to be a build-up, and then it's just going to be off with his head. And then, no, uh, the, the, the newborn was born, and a new line came out, a beautiful line of models, and, like a complete redesign to what Sinesh should have always been and was represented in the 8th edition army book for the demons, where it was very skirmishing focused with like loads of fast moving stuff. We got loads of new, uh, uh, we got loads of new uh, seekers and so on. So like, and we got archers and we, we had all these different changes, which completely and drastically changed Sinesh visually to the point that it represents, you remember those old 
like sixth edition artworks of the Chaos Warriors and so on, it changed. Like it looked like that. It reminded me a lot, like Striker did. Like oh, Sinesh, yeah. uh, so, yes, the Mirmadesh. The Mirmadesh are very old school Chaos Warrior. Yeah, it, it went back to a proper harken of showcasing what Sinesh should have been and the, the, the look. I mean, it's got like this very. Uh, it, it's very weird though, because it's 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 a it's a feel. It's kind of like uh, you've seen Three Hundred, right? Yes. <laughs> it's like the Persians in 300, isn't it? Like, it's the, the, the troopers, the frontline troopers are very uh, uh, ostentatious and they're very out there. And then they've got the skirmishing ones with, like, you know, with the veils and so on. And I, I, I absolutely, like, I lost my mind as soon as I saw those miniatures, man. Like, I, I don't think I, I don't think I pre ordered anything ever until that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it, it's just crazy to see what the turnaround was. In that there have been two, like we are just now, we just started third edition AOS. And in the two editions of AOS that we had, Slanesh re re uh, received a, mini a significant mini update in both editions. Uh, mm -hmm. In that in first edition, um, Slanesh uh, uh, did not actually receive an, or actually, you know what? No, they were both in second edition, weren't they? Um, but yeah. Slanesh, the first time Slanesh got a book in second edition, they updated the demon range. So mm -hmm. a lot of the old demon models were re-released. Um, they updated the fiends of Slanesh. They updated the, I think the, uh, they gave us the new keepers of secrets. Um, they gave us the new endless spells. They released Salaxi Hellbane, who was basically the replacement for Nakari. Um, but like Salaxi Hellbane, you're like, okay, what is going to be like the ultimate warrior of like Slanesh? Like, how do you do a greater demon? And it was that, it's a demon that is obsessed with killing other greater demons, which is just awesome. Um, yeah. You know, Hellbane is a very cool character, um, but it's like kind of the ultimate duelist as opposed to like the pure carnal rage of um, Scarbrand. Uh, and then, um, so like uh, uh, many of the demon models were updated and then they got another release <laughs> later, which brought out all the mortals. So we got a new Sigvald mini. Sigvald was brought back and made even more gorgeous um, somehow. And um, uh, the Mirmadesh were released, which were, like he said, literally, like if you go back and look at the old Warrior of Chaos artwork where they had like themed warriors, the Mirmadesh look exactly like the old school um, champions of Slanesh, but like a unit of them, which was super cool. Um, and then they brought out the Bliss Barb Archers. They were like, look, you kind of like got cultists now who aren't allowed in close combat because, and they, they almost had like a very Arabian Persian theme to them, which was really interesting. Uh, and then uh, they also uh, gave like a, a lot of new special characters. We got Glutos Arskelion, who is just literally, he's literally a gluttony. He's a character that indulges in gluttony for the, for the sake of gluttony, not because he's hungry like an ogre would be, but because he's just obsessed with trying new flavors. He wants to try out, yeah. he wants to taste everything in the realms. Um, and then, uh, and the, like the mask got a new model and then the newborns came out, which are literally like actual large fragments of Slanesh um, so that Slanesh can be active while still being imprisoned. Um, it's just crazy, just crazy, um, but just awesome stuff. And it's, it's been wonderful to see how Slanesh has developed. 
Um, and I, I think we're both very, very excited to see Slanesh's reveal for Total War Warhammer 3. Uh, because hopefully it'll just be a colorful parade of insanity. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Like, I know a lot of people were uh, like waiting for Zinch and Nurgle and so on. Like when I did that little post on Twitter, it's amazing how many heretics are on Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> there, there is that thing like uh, everyone's excited for Nurgle and and Zinch and so on, and I get it. They're cool, man. But I, I want to see my purple boys, man. I, I want to see, I want to see just like really fast moving. Like, if they play like they did in 8th edition, we're going to see a very chariot-based, micro-intensive army. Oh, yeah, they got to be speedy. They got to be speedy. And I just can't wait for that, man. I honestly can't wait for that. And, I mean, we, we can already more or less guess it's going to be Nikari as the Legendary Lord, which... That um, seems likely. But, I mean, Nikari's going to have a completely brand new design. Because, um, yeah. like, Nikari doesn't really have... <laughs> like, the only time Nikari ever appeared in anything was... Um, weirdly enough, uh, the Warhammer MMO, uh, Warhammer Online actually featured Nakari as the hardest boss in the game, um, because mm. Nakari was the final boss of the final dungeon, um, which is wild <laughs> that he actually was treated with respect by the MMO devs, mm. but, um, instead of just being like a random public quest boss. But um, um, and for anyone that hasn't seen it. Um, there actually is artwork that was released uh, back in the end of July where Creative Assembly did put out like a little sneak peek of some of the stuff and they showed off some demonettes. Um, and the demonette art looks fantastic. Um, it, it looks like a very clever interpretation um, where uh, they... It looks like they're taking kind of the more her hermaphroditic, hermaphrodite approach to the demonettes where like some are pure female and then some are like half male, half me female. So that yeah. way they can show off boobs without having to go up to a M rating. <laughs> the third, they're male boobs. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they're they're fine. <laughs> I I did say uh, when they actually released that artwork, I did post a little bit of thing on Twitter. It's like because I had genuine fears about the Sinesha because like we said, Sinesha's been shafted constantly since early like really really early editions. And I actually put on Twitter, it's like, I should have had more faith in CA because it is exactly how I envisioned them to look. And it's just artwork, right? That is just artwork. It's concept art. But if they look as good as that concept art in-game, I'm going to be very, very happy because, like, I, I, I'll be very honest, I don't care about the other gods. They could have been... <laughs> <laughs> this is my baby, man. This is my baby. So I, I want to... I want her to shine, man. I, I want my Suneshi demonettes everywhere, and it's going to be me constantly playing Suneshi as much as possible. And they, they just look good. And obviously, we, we saw that rendering of the uh, of the Keeper of Secrets, you know? Yeah, from... that leaked image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was that was gorgeous. You know, it's the it's the Age of Sigmar version, and a lot of people got a little bit pissed at it, but like it looks so nice. much. It looks so much better though. The old one was hideous. Exactly. Like, I wouldn't mind if the old one was the look from Nikari, just obviously supersized and so on. But, like, these Keeper Secrets, they look great, you know? They, they, they are gorgeous miniatures. Uh, I've got a bunch of them myself because I've got them on um, the old 50 by 50 bases for when I play 6th, and then obviously 100 by 150 bases when I play 8th. Um, but they're just really, really, really good looking, and it's just so good. Like, honestly, 
Yeah, I, I, I don't miss the, um, the the thing I think a lot of fantasy fans don't understand uh, that are like fans of Total Warhammer and they just like Google Slanesh um, is that the thing people need to understand is that the really like probably the super badass model that you're thinking is a, is like the Slanesh demon when you look it up is not actually what it was. Um, there was a Forge World model that released that had like a pretty okay design. It, it was quite a bit different than the AOS design, but it was a good design. Um, but the Forge World designs were mostly centered around like actual specific demons from um, 40K. Like the Bloodthirster wasn't just a Bloodthirster. It was Angron the Unbound, um, if memory serves, um, and stuff like that. And whereas um, in fantasy, the demons we had, the old Slanesh were ugly because they they had bull heads but because of the sculpting limitations at the time they looked more like antelopes um they they had very long heads that were super weird or you could design them where they had they were cone heads so they had really tall cone heads and they had like really freaky faces which <laughs> they were just very bizarre looking um the new aos design where they have like the sculpted chins and they're like you're like yeah i i, I could see someone seeing that on a battlefield and be like I want to. I want to get stepped on by that thing. Like I, I, I see that. <laughs> like you know, it's like it's understandable. Um, and that that's what Slanesh needs to be. So, uh, but I think I think I think we've uh uh done enough for Slanesh. So it's it's time to move on to something a little more speculative, a little less of a history lesson. So one thing we wanted to talk about today that we thought would be fun is that me and Nathan are both going to discuss um. Uh, with, you know, Total War Warhammer 2 having functionally be, been ended, you know, a lot of us, both of us, I think, especially are hoping for a patch, um, a large patch to fix a lot of issues, you know, make it where Kazrak actually has vanguarding Racer Gore chariots, make it where the, the chariots on the War Gore aren't just like the, the Wrath of God <laughs> personified um, and all this stuff. So, um, we uh decided to each uh independently uh make a decision on if they were to do a last patch could they we hope and think they should do a Rakarth situation where they give us just a bonus legendary lord so uh, i'm gonna let nathan go first and uh nathan who if you could pick any character to feature as a free lc character to be brought into total war warhammer 2 it can be from any race um but if you would tell us who would you want, why, and just kind of like a brief overview of like where would you want them to start, uh, maybe some mechanic ideas, um, and like what they would do and stuff like that. Okay, so I would want a vampire because it's the last base game race from Warhammer Two, uh, Warhammer One that isn't in Warhammer Two is playable in the Vortex. Uh, now, a lot of people are going to think that I'm going to say Nefarata, but I honestly think that she should be left until later, maybe in the Gash DLC. So my pick would actually be her brother, because I am a sucker for the Strigoi, and I kind of like the character. Uh, Yushiran is kind of cool. He's technically a vampire with morals. <laughs> Gray area. And... Obviously, his his locations, you know, it can literally be anywhere. We've already got like a Strigoi, uh, like minor faction in 
in in Warhammer 2 in the Vortex and obviously in, in, in Immortal Empires 2, it could... Uh-oh. We good? So, that was weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> your camera went off for a second. Uh, but, like the character itself could be done a little differently. Uh, where the case is, like obviously we do have the whole thing with the uh, Strigoni and stuff like that. So we could have a uh, Strigoi legendary lord with some more humans than possibly Vlad uh, or the Von Karstein himself have, because they only really have access to gunners and crossbows. Uh, but it would be nice to have something different with just some basic reskins of mounted yeomen and peasant archers and stuff like that, you know? Like, it takes no effort with a reskin. And okay. obviously, it's just a voice items. Okay, so so Shorin gets some Stragani representation in there. Um, yeah. uh, do you have any idea for, like, what you would want his, like, functionality to be? Like, what kind of mechanics he would bring to the table? Any ideas in there? In... A point of sheer spite because he was treated so badly. I'd say hunting down other vampire factions would be funny. <laughs> Just get revenge on all of them for abandoning his kids. Yeah, because he was treated like crap, like constantly, right? So it'd just be kind of funny if in Mortal Empires, more than anything, he'd just be hunting down other factions and trying to reform, obviously, uh, reform, reform the Strigoi Empire which would put him going to different locations and just capturing locations, possibly be fighting off different factions there with an end battle of an army being sent by Neferata, but we don't see Neferata, you know? Yeah, fair enough. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that could uh, certainly be an interesting thing. What, do, you, do you have an idea of where you'd want him to, like, start, in, uh, start on the map? Would you just want to go in Morkheim? Uh, just where the current Strigoi faction is, or would you want him somewhere else? Thing is, the Vortex map is just so full nowadays, isn't it? Like, it's insane. Yeah. Oh full. yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty stuffed. Maybe put him. I don't know. Obviously, for the Mortal Empires, more kind of just makes sense. Or maybe a location near it, so he has to travel to it and take it himself. Mm -hmm. uh, for the for the vortex, I don't know, man. Like it's, it, it, it's a bit just of Nagaroth, right? <laughs> do, 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 do another Nagaroth. Well, what kind of scares me is obviously because there's one depot left, which is usually attached to some form of content, and it's Green Jay. And then when I Google Green Jay, it's like, oh, it's a bird indigenous to Southern America. It's like, no more Lustria, please. <laughs> I'll cry. I'll fucking cry. I mean, there there is some empty space in Lustria, but it's only on like the north, uh, the northeastern side where there's like nothing going on there. Yeah, kind of kind of up near like the the like north of that weird little set of dark elf islands, um, around where like the blue the blue orc tribe is. It's, it scares me to think anything else in Lustria, like. If anyone from CA is listening, please no more, please. <laughs> I don't think that would be too bad. Like maybe, maybe he could start on that little island north of the Dark Elf Fortress, um, where there's that little like island up out, out by itself. Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's uh, actually no. quite far away. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else up there. I mean, I think the closest person to him would be Teclas, but um, um, who is still a good way south, um. All right, so uh, 
fair answer. Fair answer. Um, uh, for my answer, I have a very similar um, uh, train of thought, but I, of course, went with Zacharias, my boy, <laughs> my boy. Uh, so for me, I would want to go with uh, Zacharias the Everliving uh, because he is my favorite. And I think terribly underappreciated by the vampire communities. Um, they they need more. They need to have more respect <laughs> for the super caster lord. Uh, I'm gonna pull up uh, some artwork on him here on stream because he's just he's just ugly as sin. He's like basically just a giant, like just a super scraggly corpse on a big zombie dragon. So my design idea for Zacharias would be to uh, as far as his start location goes i would have it in the vortex campaign and uh mortal empires for him to start in casa bar so to be to start in the uh deserts to the far south kind of like looking for ancient knowledge and stuff um and hopefully add his um fortress uh to like the northern empire and like you know to make his way back home to his tower uh, that's maybe yeah. been taken over by um Wazorin in the shape of uh Melchior because you know Wazorin possessed Melchior's body and is kind of crazy but it's still out there somewhere so maybe it could be fun that when Zacharias leaves Melchior comes back and takes back the tower uh but um the thing I like about Zacharias as far as I'd have his um his uh mechanic system go is that I would have it where Zacharias is a super magically powerful character, not dissimilar to Manfred, but he's just all in on the lore of vampires, right? He's not like Manfred where he's got the lore of vampires and the lore of death, but what separates him from the likes of Kimmler, obviously, is that he goes all the way up to a zombie dragon, and I would introduce for him the classic ability to create undead like the Necrox do in the lore. So I would actually pinch off from Throt the Uncleans mechanic where um, uh, Zach or Zacharias has like a flesh crafting or um, corpse crafting uh, mechanic system where you're able to use his sorceries and stuff and steal knowledge from other races to customize your units and to give them unique abilities and stuff very similar to Throt's mechanic. Um, so that you're creating like zombies that have poisoned attacks or uh, maybe you're creating like crypt horrors that have armor or, you know, or like introduce like a lot of really unique abilities. And the big thing I would do that I think would be a fun mechanic for him uh, that could be a lot of fun is give him the ability because he's so magically powerful and being able to... Um, like once as he's going around just trying to collect knowledge and become like this super powerful uh sorcerer give him maybe at some point in his campaign the ability to recruit uh unridden zombie dragons so he could just like have uh dragons like all the other dragon races can where they can like take dragons without riders uh, but yeah. for him he's able to take the zombie dragons uniquely i think that would be a lot of fun uh of course, you know, and like, you know, since he's Necrarch, I imagine you'd want to do this with a Strigoi or Lamian character or a Blood Dragon, where like, if you start with those characters, I think they should start with like the first slot for that uh, Bloodline unlocked um, or something. Um, but uh, I think that would be super fun. His campaign is just kind of about like stealing ancient knowledge from various races to master, you know, to become stronger than Nagash 
when it comes to sorcery and also to make your way back to take over uh, your tower from Melchior and have your big final climactic showdown with your old teacher and uh, punch him in the face. But uh, to show him who the true king of the Necrarchs is, that that would be uh, that would that would be uh, in, in Mortal Empires and in Vortex. I would also still have it that Melchior's around somewhere, but maybe you have to like find him uh, because he's running around trying to perform some ritual, and Zacharias is trying to stop him. Hey, cool! I, I like that idea. I mean, the, the most important thing is we're both in agreement: no more von Karsteins. Yeah, no more. No, the only reason there should be another Von Karstein is for Conrad, and Conrad should be a legendary hero, not a legendary yes. lord. I will die on that hill. Yeah, no, no, exactly, exactly. Like, Conrad can't cast magic. <laughs> he should not be a Vampire Count legendary lord. <laughs> yeah. I, I like the idea, honestly. I actually really, really like the idea. Zacharias is a really, really cool character, too. Um, I, I think I've got his model somewhere, actually. Uh, he has a really cool mini, because his dragon yeah. had a very... Like, it spirals up yeah. on the model, which is super unique. Um, it wasn't just, like, a giant S, <laughs> like most of the dragons then were. Um, if he starts down south where you said, it will give him incentive to go all the way up to his tower, which was in Os? Uh, his, yeah, his tower is, like, just next to the Middle Mountains. So it's, yeah. a, little bit, it's a little bit west of Hawkland. Yeah. So it will give him incentive to go up that way. There's just... That would be kind of cool because a lot of time you don't get too much uh, to you don't really have too much reason to explore too far, especially with these campaigns because they do get a little long, and you kind yeah, of and, yeah, and yeah, and I I think that's kind of I I really enjoy campaigns like Belagars or Scarsnecks where it's like you're trying to get somewhere. You're not just you're not just building in place until some magical thing ticks and you're done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I do like the ones where it's like, okay, you don't have to conquer everything between here and there, but your goal is to get there. Um, those are really fun. And I, I do agree with you that I think a Strigoi character would be well amazing as well. I think I think personally I would go for Vorag Bloody Tooth over Ushorin, um, but I think either would be great. Uh, but I, I just want a playable character for every bloodline. <laughs> I, just, I just want one lord yeah. for every bloodline. Exactly that. That would just be so cool. Like, there's just so many options, and there's, there's so many cool things about each of the bloodlines. If the bloodlines can be done at least a little bit uniquely with mechanics, it would just be incredible. Yeah, but, like, um, I actually, you know, honestly, when I think about it more, though, I, I think I actually agree more with you that I, I think it would be better to do, like, Vorag, Bloody Tooth, or Ushorin as a free LC gimme, Lord and save i think zacharias would probably feature better as a dlc because there are like tons of units he could come with of like hey here are like spirit hosts and unholy armor and patchwork men uh or and the uh the abyssal terror you know where's my abyssal terror mount ca come on <laughs> um, oh wait for spirit host, man i literally cannot wait for spirit house um yeah spirit house would be super we need more we need, we need more spooks all right, so uh, that's gonna be it for that segment. Uh, now we're gonna talk. Uh, we're talk. We're gonna shift gears pretty hard here for a minute, uh, which is we're gonna talk a little bit about ourselves, which is probably what we should have done the first episode. <laughs> so it's not quite such a random like who are these guys and why are they uh, here. So um, we're gonna we're gonna spend a little bit of time uh, covering our backstories um, and talking, you know, kind of the men behind the the men behind the podcast a little bit of a situation here. 
Um, and uh, I'll be watching my chat, um, and I would encourage Nation to watch his as well for any like particular questions that may come up during this segment. This would be kind of uh, a good time uh, to keep an eye out for interesting ones. But uh, I'm going to start by asking Nathan a few questions as far as so let's 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 talk about what what was your origin into the hobby like what what was your starting tale for coming into warhammer fantasy one thing very quickly can i go pick up another red bull because the mini fridge is no still not yes <laughs> give me just one sec since the mini fridge is still fucking cooling down go for it dude okay. behind, behind the beard <laughs> Uh, I hope you're all doing well. Uh, we we uh, this is this is a super fun series to get together uh, and do, and I'm I'm been really pleased by the reception. Uh, everyone seems to be really enjoying it, which is great. All right, you good? You you refueled? Hashtag, now I am. hashtag not sponsored. Sponsor <laughs> me, please. <laughs> by, by the way, even though we are only on our second episode of the series, if anyone would like to sponsor us, I mean, we're we're listening. <laughs> we would we would gladly accept money, um, to to prop up anything, literally anything. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be good. Just contact me. Um, hey, Shadow Legends. <laughs> yeah, really. We'll we'll, fuck, we'll we'll fucking do it. Um. All right, so uh, what what was your what was your origin with Warhammer Fantasy? What what brought you to this hobby? So um, I, I got into Warhammer at a very early age because uh, I grew up uh, just little context. I was a sick kid growing up, and um, a lot of injections and so on. Uh, I was about two and a half months premature. So and Jib being so um, polluted, uh, I wasn't spending a lot of time outside and so on. It was just hospital home, hospital home, hospital home. So mom wanted me to get a hobby and it was around when I was four years old. Uh, we actually stumbled across a big cutout of a space marine, ultramarine in the old school yellow and blue. Um, that was a little hobby shop that we have. Uh, it's, it's actually it's a kebab shop now, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> No, he, the, the, the dude retired. He, a lovely guy, but he did retire. He made us killing. He made us killing. But um, I got him for the hobby because of that, because my mom wanted something that she could do with me, which didn't require me to be outside and so on. Uh, started with 40K. She painted mostly because obviously I was four. Uh, but as the time progressed, started getting into it more and more. Okay, so real, real quick, as, as memories uh, stick with you as a four-year-old, what, what was... Your interaction with the hobby was it was it just that like you really liked looking at the minis liked reading the stories like what 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 was it that that what was your starting relationship there so i i was a small kid man like tiny right like i didn't actually start growing properly until i was like 16 and that was thanks to like steroid injections but like i was tiny like camera i was like this and i was watching this Absolutely massive cutout to well, it was massive to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of a space marine or bulky and stuff, right? And for me, that was just like, wow, what is that? You know? And I loved looking at the minis. Uh, it, it just it was something that I really wanted to uh, to look at and uh, play with because obviously, you know, they were toys for me. Um, and it got through there. Like the, my mom got into the hobby through it too, and. Start, started progressing through it. Then I kind of realized I like 
I like guns, I like tanks, but I really like swords, magic, and, you know, just, like, dragons. You know, that, that stuff is awesome, you know? And Yeah, you, you, came to the, you came to the conclusion of which one was naturally superior, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a box. I started off, actually, with the Empire, funny enough. It was because it was the easiest to paint. At that point, I think I was around eight, nine, something like that. And it was an Empire box, just a basic... Uh, that was when... They used to come in weird, weird numbers. Remember the, uh, the Men at Arms box was like, what, 19 units? Because you had to buy the Commander uh, as, a, as a blister yeah, pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird. <laughs> but, like, I started with that, and then I started expanding into Orcs. Uh, I've actually just been stripping down some of my old Orcs recently, too. Um, started getting into Orcs, started getting into Skaven, and just buying everything, because I was like, oh, wow, this is just so much cooler than guns. And just spaceships. I think this is magic where one spell is basically destroying armies. Because at that point, I started reading the fluff. You know, you read about Nagash doing basically deleting the Hekara to, from what it was, reshaping it into Land of the Dead. Yeah. So, w would you say that fifth edition was when you like got to the point where you were really able to like process the game and be able to start like enjoying the experience? Fifth was when I was like really starting to get into the lore and the game more. Back before that, it was just painting and uh, kind of just enjoying looking at the minis because, like, a lot of the casts, they were gorgeous. And they still hold up to this day, you know? Like, they were just really, really good. And it was just, like, it was a universe that I felt very uh, at home with over the years. It's been a place of comfort when... And I've met loads of great people through the hobby. So, like, more so through fantasy than 40K, I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so let's talk about um, so you mentioned earlier in the podcast and like we've talked about this in the past that you like most of your experience in the long run ended up being around like competitive play or at the very least just playing the game. So when when did you start getting in competitive fantasy games and what was your what was your route through the hobby through that method? My uh, my Start with competitive play was probably six, because uh, that's pretty much when that tasty Skaven list started, you know? So it was like, ooh, you know, this is when my love of Skaven really started to, oh, look at these, there's Ratman, and you can bring really loads of them for, like, no points, basically, and <laughs> outnumber your enemy horrendously much, you know? So, like, that's when I started getting really, really into it. When I got really competitive, and I mean screaming at my other opponent for the table and like just really, really bad and just playing constantly and so on, was eight. Eighth to me was, uh, I think that was a, around the time of I'd just finished my exams and I found myself with a lot more free time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to dive into competitive play. Spain has started getting a lot of players too, like tournaments everywhere. Like, towns in Spain are really, really close, right? At some point, some of them just even overlap over each other. And they were just tourneys, 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 tourneys. I was like, oh, I really want to get into this. And let's be honest, Skaven for eighth worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that steadfast rule is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I got really, really into it. I was playing horrendously. Like, I think it was like... I was losing at the beginning very, very much because I was dealing with a lot of high elf players. They were really popular. Uh, then I started experimenting 
And what I was doing is I was taking notes as I was playing, because uh, obviously that was pre-Battle Scribe days and so on. Everything had to be written down, handwriting. Yeah, you know? the good old days. <laughs> Everything was written in charcoal on stone wall, yeah. It's just like I, I was getting really into it. I, I still have some of those lists written and everything. It's like uh, you just take notes as you play, and you go into tournaments sometimes blind, just to throw yourself into the deep end to realize where you were learning. Like because you'd learn as you play, right? Like sometimes as much studying as you could do, you could never be prepared for a chariot build of Zinch. You could never be prepared for uh, like what was it the. Uh, Dark Elf feigns, uh, where, where you charge them and then they just feign back into another location and so on, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. In, yeah, you, you had to just play a lot of games to figure out what the hell every faction was up to. Yeah, and it was just like, that was that, that was my golden age. I, I, I wish we would have, like, obviously seen a ninth. Uh, I must admit, though, that obviously 8.5 was very kind to uh to Skaven too because obviously then we had the uh and I did take a part in tournaments because of it because obviously we got mixed in with chaos and that meant that we could summon in with some of the infernal legions so at some point I was summoning in freaking plate bearers at the front of my forces and... <laughs> yeah just uh yeah the uh host of the ever chosen <laughs> crazy shit it was um, pure <laughs> okay so speaking of the end times what what happened so what what was your experience with the end of the world uh i quit <laughs> I, I i took a break i i uh i played i played until the end uh we all knew what was coming because we two books in we got told by the manager at the, at the store it's like yeah uh this is going to end it's like well make the best of it because i still played 40k but like it wasn't my it wasn't my scene i played i demolished I did as much damage as I could, and then afterwards I said, right, I'm going to pack up my armies, uh, put them to retire, and yeah, it was, it was kind of sad, but I, I wasn't going to sell my minis. There's way too much emotional attachment for an army that you what, like. what? you didn't You didn't burn them on the grill like true heroes? <laughs> the yeah. true heroes of the hobby did? Some freaking edgy black metal on that. My god, I saw that video and I was thinking, what possesses someone? That, get that, rid. That, that was a guy from my ballpark. That's that's the saddest part. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I played against that guy at some point, it or at least so... I've been in the same hall as him. Like, could you imagine? Like, if if you were quitting for good, like if I knew that I was going to get rid of my minis, I would give it to someone who would appreciate the minis or sell them. Not there. Let's just fucking douse it on gasoline. Yeah, no, nah, dude. <laughs> I, no, I've got. Man. Maybe he was someone that just really enjoyed burning things that were worth a lot of money. Like, he was actually just a pyromaniac who was like, hey, I could do this on film and people will call me a hero. <laughs> Looks like a dumbass now, but... <laughs> well, it looked at like a dumbass at the time, too. But, um... So, okay, so... Fantasy ends. Uh, you put away your stuff. You know, they collect dust. What... When 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 do you return? When When is, when is the glorious resurrection finally reach... Uh, you over in Gibraltar. So I was, um, I was taking a bit of a break, and I was having a holiday uh, in, um, I think it was in Almeria in Spain. 
and I walked into a hobby shop because I still went and I still sometimes bought some minis and stuff because I still enjoyed the painting, right? And um, there were people playing fantasy, man. And I was like, what's, what's going on? You know, it's like, oh, no, yeah, some of us still play. Uh, there's a big scene in Spain because this is, uh, is going to be, a, it's going to sound like an insult, but it's actually a compliment to Spain. They're like 20 years behind, like so is Gibraltar. We're, we're very much the same people. So... <laughs> Everything is kind of new to them, so fantasy is like really, really stupidly popular here. It's in like a gym in Spain, right? I, I, was, Spain? I was about to make a really tasteless joke, but I'm not going to, so let's just keep moving. <laughs> it, it, it's amazing, like nothing's happened, and uh, it's really popular. Like, like holy crap, man! I, I, I travel through Spain a lot, and well, prior to the plague, and uh, no message one of the fantasy groups because i'm in like eight whatsapp groups which are like full and it's just a spanish scene and it's just like oh yeah there's a tournament tourney happening in stepono there's a tournament happening in granada like fuck it man i'm around that area i'll pop right and say, say hi and look at the armies and maybe even get a cheeky game in and it, it's insane so at that point i was like man people are still playing uh maybe i was stupid of me just to beside the armies i want i, I want to get a game in and there was a tournament happening in Puerto Tuguesa, which is like a 45-minute drive away. And I was like, yeah, fuck it, man. It's in two weeks. I've got time to like, get the armies out, read the books, kind of get with my bearings again. And I played, and I came third, man. It was like, you, you know, it's just like riding a bike. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that shit's great. And it was just like, I remember just going in there. It's kind of like when you're foaming at the mouth because you're... You... <laughs> You haven't been there in so long. I, I, I shit you not, man. I, I, I finished. I sat down. I was like, this, this feels good. This feels so good. Yeah, and man. I carried on. I just carried on playing at that point. I, I, I found out that the local, a lot of the locals were still playing. So I carried on playing with them. I was doing loads of tournaments. Uh, it got to the point that, because um, I travel a lot to, to metal festivals uh, across Europe, because I love heavy metal. And um, there's one Hellfest in Plisson. Uh, I have to stop in Nantes, which has a GW store, and they still have people playing freaking uh, fantasy. I walked in there once, and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we've got some armies you can use if you want. If you want to have a game." <laughs> oh, that's, like, yeah, that's cool. Yes, <laughs> it was. Um, it was actually a Demons of uh, Nurgle army I used there. It was, it was really, it was really good. Like I, I, I know shit all about Nurgle forces because it's tough. There's high toughness, not a lot of um, high movement, barring of course the flyers and so on. But I still had the time of my freaking life, man. And I was like, damn. And then obviously I started looking at the circuits. And, you know, there's, like, there's the Facebook groups I invited you to and stuff like that. You know, there's so many active scenes. It's amazing that the hobby didn't die. So for me, it just kind of like brought the spark back. Yeah, like, yeah, you, you walk in, you're like, oh, we're the party never ended. <laughs> it's, it's, still, it's still 1999 in here. <laughs> yeah. Because of that, I, I was like, oh, I'll get back into 40k. Um, I'll try out Asia Sync and uh, I'll try out uh, the new edition of Blood Bowl stuff like that. And I was, I, I was like, well, I guess I'm, I sold my soul to Games Workshop again. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, awesome, dude. And 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 when when did when did Total War show up on this time scale? Oh, oh, I can't hear you. There you go. There oh. you go. Now I can hear you. Um. Total War um, had already been out. Uh, I was enjoying it. I was playing it a lot. Uh, but, and it made, it made me want to come back to it. 
but I was I was still always thinking, you know, uh, the hobby's dead. Like for me mentally, I was thinking, holy crap, man! If this game would have come out when fantasy was alive, we would have probably t- overtaken forty k in popularity. You know, because like. Yeah, so so it was it was really seeing the hobby still being played that really really like got you back. Oh yeah, like I, I was still buying minis. I remember uh I remember when uh Vlad got released for Warhammer One, I bought the Vlad mini because I had the old metal one and they had the uh but I lost it. I found it again recently, but it was like caked in paint. So it was like <laughs> But I bought the resin one, uh, the fine cast one. I was like, oh, you know, this is fun. And uh, it was nice getting back to painting and so on, because I do it, but sparsely. It's, it's just, it was nice to get back into the hobby in one way, shape, or form. That was my Warhammer fantasy at that point. Like, all that was left, at least that's all that I thought that was left, you know? Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, yeah, that's great. And um, uh, kind, of, kind of another thing I think that's worth asking uh for all warhammer fantasy fans because this tends to come with like a really interesting set of answers but what 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 would you say was like the the kind of the the ultimate takeaway from like the fantasy hobby like what what made it so special as far as like something that even after whoop uh years of uh i think you disconnected you still with me? Hello? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know why it does that sometimes, but whatever. Um So what what was it that what what is it about Warhammer Fantasy do you think, in your opinion, that makes it makes it such a such a important and critical experience to your life? You know, when when it comes to just Warhammer in general, like I said, you know, I grew up as a sick kid and didn't leave the house a lot until I was like 10. This was my main comfort other than gaming. Uh, It's just a universe I felt very much at home with. And it was just something that is very important. Warhammer Fantasy to me has embodied so much of my childhood that to me, I can't really imagine the universe without like i can't imagine my life without that universe you know it it, it forms a, a big part of who i am i'm a very competitive player like it, it, it almost to the point of toxicity right uh, <laughs> yeah you heard it here first <laughs> nathan's a toxic player <laughs> but like it's always been me right like eventually when i got better health wise i started taking part in martial arts so right and i was competitive there uh when it came to clubs and so on, it was the same thing. And I, I took a lot of that into Warhammer, you know, like I wanted to be the best player. I wanted to be this. It kind of pushes you, you know, you want to be the best in a sense, right? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, it breeds health. Like competition is healthy. So like, especially for a, for a growing, for a growing kid, it teaches you uh, to be humble still, because obviously you're going to get your ass handed to you multiple times. And it's really important. That's what I learned a lot about, like, the hobby itself. Um, I, I would say that, obviously, I spent way too much money on it. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's what you enjoy doing, so it's, 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 oh, yeah. not, it's not technically a waste. <laughs> I, uh, I would buy stuff just because it's pretty, you know, just because, oh, while I'm here, like, I've got, like... Um... 
I don't even want to look at that, right? <laughs> hey, what what is what is the point of money if not to serve a need, right? Just like br bring you, you know, hoarding money for the sake of it is just you're never going to be happy that way, right? You got you got to do things with it. Definitely, definitely. Like uh, I've got like a lot of different hobbies that isn't just Warhammer. So I like to uh, try and put them together. Like I, I play like fourteen instruments. But like Warhammer's always been this thing that I will always sink some cash every week into for some reason, even if I'm not doing anything that week. Warhammer related. <laughs> it's called an like, addiction. <laughs> that's the, oh yeah, that's yeah. What it's really bad. I I went into the store because uh, we got a little shop. It's like a they mostly do games, but like they got Warhammer, and I bought some aggressors for forty k because I'm building up one of the chapters, and it's like. I'm looking at it like, I'm probably not going to build you for about a month or two. But I might as well since I'm here and the box is here. <laughs> it happens a lot. It's actually why I have like two Imperial Knights, which just, I, I don't think I'm ever going to like paint them. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Uh, is, is, so is there, is there anything else you think uh, uh, that you'd want to add as far as, you know, uh, your experience with fantasy and like um, helping people kind of have a good sense for uh, what your relationship with it is as far as like nowadays? Well, nowadays it's uh, it's obviously focused around gaming, uh, video game more, obviously, so Warhammer and so on. Uh, it's, 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 it's a strange thing because I, I, I guess I can call it like a part-time job in a sense. Because it, it's a weird thing, this whole YouTube thing, right? Like, obviously, yeah, it's super weird. <laughs> like, like I, I, I honestly can't fathom what I'm doing half the time, you know. And uh, but uh, like, I, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, this is this is pretty much what's left of Warhammer Fantasy, of of course, barring Warhammer Fantasy roleplay. Uh, but it's trying to get the whole thing about it with, oh yeah, you know. Uh, I'm talking about Warhammer as a secondary job in a sense, and like, and I'm just waiting for Old World so I can start doing bat reps. And <laughs> yeah, man, that, that's something I really want to do. You know, like I, I'm pretty sure that you're you're going to dive into Old World as soon as possible too, aren't you? I don't, like, uh, I don't know. Really... I don't know why you would say that. <laughs> it's going to be loads of really cool shit, and and. Like, it's a weird thing, because I'm still trying to, like, get my bearings of all this type of stuff. I'm just happy to be able to to talk about the hobby and like, talk about minis and just talk about bases and so on. Because, like, I've got these bases. These squares are from uh, Green Stuff World, and they've got slots on the bottom, right? Uh, this is someone, uh, a subscriber, messaged me about these. And they're actually designed so you can put the magnets directly there, so you don't have to cut anything or anything. Oh, that's and cool. then they're actually pretty good size. They do everything. Like I've got a chariot base here too, and everything is they're so good. You know, like nice. And they're cheap. Yeah, that is good. They're really, really cheap too. Yeah, the like, the age of the square is returning. Exactly, <laughs> it's coming back hard. So I'm starting to like like it's it's great because I because of this YouTube thing, I've been able to like make like meet a lot of people like yourself, Baldy, and so on. You know, and. Then I've been able to talk with loads of Warhammer Fantasy fans about really, really obscure shit in the law in the in the law and stuff, and it's like, Christ, this is so cool. 
yeah it, it, it's good times are being had and um it's it, it, it are strange times we live in but wonderfully strange times yeah i mean we wouldn't have this were it not for ca of course because like absolutely yeah undeniably so uh, there's no way the old world would be happening uh, if it weren't for CA. Games Workshop would have never done that in a million years. Yeah. But let's uh, let's go to you. Like, What got you started with the hobby? Um, and I've, I've talked about this before, um, and my community kind of knows the story behind it, but um, for me, um, <laughs> my story revolves more about desperation, I think, on part of my parents. As far as when when I was young, um, I, I was a bit of a uh, I was abnormal compared to my older brother. I had an older brother who was very stereotypical for my family in that he was very athletic, um, and like really enjoyed athletics. He was really big into baseball and football and all this stuff. Um, American football, not soccer. <laughs> but um, um, the the thing for me is that my my parents were very desperately looking for a hobby for me. Um, like, you know, I had video games, but my parents did not consider that a hobby. Um, and I had friends and stuff, but they were like, he needs, he needs to do something. And I just hated sports. I hated it so much with every fiber of my existence. So, um, one day they were apparently going through uh, a mall near here. It was called the, it's called the Grapevine Mills Mall. It's still around, surprisingly. And back then there was a games workshop in there. And as they were walking by it, they kind of looked and they saw that there were like people in there playing games and stuff. And they saw that, you know, they, they had the whole setup where like they had the display cases in the front of the, you know, the glass window of the store. So you could like see all the minis and stuff. And they were like, oh, that kind of looks interesting. So they went in and they learned a little about it. And they were like, yeah, I, I think our son would like this. You know, he's kind of into like nerdy crap. So um, they uh, ended up bringing me. Uh, I think the year was about, it was about 2001, uh, 2002, somewhere in that ballpark. And they ended up um, bringing me into the store to like, just kind of get started. And so uh, I don't even remember who the guy was, but I got to talk to one of the employees who was super nice and good at, you know, helping encourage like, whoa, you know, what are you into? Like, what are, what are, what, like, what are, what are your favorite fantasy creatures and all this stuff? <clears throat> and initially... I was like, oh, you know, I love dragons and all this stuff. And he was like, oh, we got dragons. You want to, you know, you want to get a dragon and stuff to start? And excuse me, I need a drink of water, something fierce. Um, but the thing for me is that even, unfortunately, at that young age, I was a little prejudiced against elves. So when I saw that there were elves on the backs of the dragons and he was kind of like, oh, well, you know, you can only really have like one of these and it's kind of like a big piece um you know maybe not like the best for a starter but here's like some units for the guys that have dragons and i was like oh i don't want this crap <laughs> i don't want i don't want a bunch of dudes um and so he was like well if you like how do you feel about dinosaurs and i was like oh you know i love dinosaurs and he's like well here's like just an army of t-rexes and here's a t-rex with another t-rex riding it <laughs> and it was like oh sold uh so i picked up my first ever minis which my very first set was a unit of Saurus Warriors, um, a fifth edition. So that was back when the Lizardmen were hideous. Uh, I, oh. I, the sickle, right? Yeah, yeah. The sickles back when they were green, um, and they they had like really tiny heads. 
compared to their bodies. Um, like, I know some people are like, oh man, I'm so nostalgic for the old designs. I'm like, nah, dude. <laughs> Fifth edition loser room were ugly. I hated them. They looked terrible. Um, so I picked up, um, I picked up a Unisaurus Warriors, their command squad, you know, the little metal minis. I got a single Croxagore and a Skink Priest. Um, was my was my starting set of minis. Um and slowly learned to paint and all that. I didn't play the game um actually until six came out, which six was I think either six had just started or it was right around the corner. Um because I purchased the sixth edition book, which, you know, uh, because the Lizardmen had not had their re-release yet, had all the old sixth edition minis in it. Um, and uh, I remember painting and I started to learn to play with six. But the thing is, when you're like a 10 year old kid, is that Warhammer, especially back in those days, was way too complicated for a 10 year old. So I had a friend who I, I kind of had like a best friend back then who... We, whenever one of us got into a hobby, the other one would almost always get into the exact same hobby. Um, so when he learned about it, he was like, oh, I want to get an army. So he went, he got high elves. Uh, he, he settled on high elves as his army, um, which should have been a warning sign to me all those years ago. <laughs> but uh, we started, uh, so like me and him would just play each other constantly. We played the rules hilariously wrong until we learned there was a hobby store um, about like 50% closer than the mall was. And we started going there and learning to play the game. And it was uh, like, well, now that we had adults helping us out, like they actually taught us the rules and we would just, we would just hang out there. Like we would spend hours there every weekend, um, just like playing games or painting minis. Like I always hated painting. I was never great at it. I still am not a huge fan of it. And it's, it's just cause it was really hard not to be a perfectionist about it. You know, not to be like super upset when you make a little mistake and also not understanding the the 10 foot rule um, or um, I think actually, no, it's the three foot rule. But um, <clears throat> where the idea, if you're painting minis for tabletop, unless you're trying to win a golden demon, if if the model looks fine from three feet away, it's fine. <laughs> just just and like any of the parts you can't see when standing when standing up. Don't even have to paint those parts like the underbelly and all that stuff. Just leave it. It's fine. Um, uh, and I, I didn't understand that for many years. So, uh, but the, the new Lizardman came out and I loved the new Lizardman. Like the new Lizardman drop. We got, we got the new big uh, metal Stegodon uh, and the, they released like the new Salamanders. I had one of the old Salamanders where they had like the giant dorsal fin on their back. Um, but, uh, the new Saurus were especially gorgeous. I never seen lizard creatures like that before where they just had the really big head crests, uh, which just looks super badass. Um, and the Croxagores, um, were better than the Croxagores from the prior edition. They still weren't great, but they were better. Uh, and they were still big old honking metal minis. And, uh, I started collecting and in sixth edition, I really learned how to play the game. Um, and I wasn't great yet, but, uh, 6th edition didn't have a super long life cycle. Um, like it, it had a long enough life cycle to make every army, uh, have an army book, but they used to come out much more quickly in those days. Um, and also things were a lot cheaper in those days where, you know, you just had black and white paperback army books that were 20 bucks. Um, 
but uh, started collecting, and when 7th edition hit is when I got really competitive. So I was a teenager at that point. You know, I was 14 or 15, and um, 7th edition, uh, like, I was very, I was competitive in 6th, but um, 7th was when things really opened up for me. And although 7th had a lot of frustrating elements, you know, the Demons of Chaos are beyond infamous for just being a completely broken-ass book, um, it was a weird edition because even though the Demons were super broken, they did this weird thing where every book that came after them was also super broken to try and, like, compensate. And one of the earliest books after the Demons, um, was, I think the Hiles came out very quickly after that. Um, so my buddy who played Hiles, who basically, like, always lost, started winning a lot all of a sudden. Because he's like, you know, oh, I've got Always Strike First, and Star Dragons are, like, freaking ridiculous, and all this other stuff. Uh, and then the Lizardman book came out, and oh, oh my god, the Lizardman book was so strong. Um, where, you know, they introduced the, that the Slawn Mage priests were just insanely strong, and you could purposefully miscast and give the miscast to somebody else. And miscasts in 7th edition were brutal. Um... They got even more brutal in 8th, but, um, like, 7th edition was, like, the addition of magic because you could have an unlimited amount of power dice. Um, it was just based on how many wizards you had. So that's where we had, like, Zinch and Vampire Count armies where they're like, oh, it's my magic phase, here's my 20 power dice. <laughs> but, um, um, for me, Warhammer was, it was where my imagination lived. You know, I, I grew up, um... I wouldn't. I would not say I was poor, but I was very low middle class um, in America. Uh, you know, I grew up in a very. If you ever watch like King of the Hill, that's the kind of neighborhood I grew up in. <laughs> King of the Hill is like an almost perfect representation uh, of what it was like in suburban Texas. And um, for me, Warhammer was a very expensive hobby, but a it was not nearly as expensive then as it is now, and b you could the thing was is that i would just get new stuff once in a blue moon you know i would get a new army book um when they came out i didn't collect army books because i couldn't afford to but what i would do is i would go into my local hobby store and they would a lot you know they always had like open copies of the books um for reference and i would just sit there for hours reading the books um, so, um, that, that was where I spent a lot of time was at the mall or my local hobby store, just reading, um, the books. Cause for me, those were like my equivalent of my favorite storybooks, which is where I really fell in love with the lore. Um, and you know, I played the game a lot and, um, um, all of my, you know, like my one, the one best friend I had at the time played it. And then we've gotten kind of into middle school, you know, I was that kid that would literally show up with an army book um, uh, and just like be reading it in public uh, and people will walk and be like, what the fuck are you reading, dude? <laughs> like, what, what is, what is this? What is this? And I'd be like, Oh, it's a game that has like stories and stuff. Um, so, you know, I was uh, in my school, people didn't really bully you for being a nerd, but you, you could be a little ostracized, uh, but I had really good friends, thankfully. So I was, I was not as cast out as I otherwise would have been in a more stereotypical school. But um, my experience with Warhammer was very positive, and it, it helped me make a lot of friends. It helped me learn a lot. Um, Warhammer, as far as I'm concerned, is excellent for young children or teenagers as far as, like, learning reading comprehension, mathematics, um, getting a good idea for, like, geometry, understanding percentiles and all this stuff. Like, really, really strong. 
Um, and, um, so it, it was a very critical thing for me. Um, and it was really big in high school. Cause in high school is when I finally started to go to like GTs and stuff. Um, cause I could afford to with money I had from like my jobs and I became very, very good at the game. And I wouldn't say I was the best Lizardman player in Texas, but I was pretty good. <laughs> I, I could, I could, I could hold my own against some dirty armies. Um, cause I played dirty armies. Um, you know, I, I, my favorite army was the classic, like, block of 36 temple guard with a slon mage priest in it lore of life fully stacked like the slon alone was worth like 800 points <laughs> but like killing him was virtually impossible um and so um you had all that stuff and uh and then the end times happened um but the end times for me was really complicated because i was in college at the time and when i was in college i was kind of moving all over the place so, like, um, I remember playing War... I, I didn't really play Warhammer in college because the first college I went to was, like, six hours away from my home up in the Panhandle. Um, so, like, I couldn't take my minis with me because I had no space for them in my dorm room because my dorm room... The room I'm in right now is about twice as big as my dorm room was, and there were two people in there. <laughs> so, um, did not have room for minis. Um, my third year of college, when I had an apartment... I finally was able to have my minis with me, and that was roughly when the end times started, um, around 2013. And um, so I was super into the end times, like despite the fact I was not wealthy by any means, I still like would do anything I had to to buy all the books, um, and read it, and I absolutely loved it and everything. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, something's happening, something's happening, Some, what what's happening? <laughs> Um, like just the fact that Nagash came out was like such a massive deal, um, for anyone that was a big fan of the hobby, uh, especially with the gorgeous mini that he had where he was just colossal and really strong and stuff. But it was like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing GW? Uh, I, I would say for me, because I didn't really have a local hobby store because there was no games workshop in Amarillo. Um, and I really didn't get to experience being around other hobbyists until roughly like Thankful came out when I was living in Fort Worth. Um, but the, um, the, uh, the crazy thing was that, uh, you know, unfortunately I didn't really realize that it, everything was ending until about Thankful, um, because all the forums started getting rumor leaks that Warhammer was actually dying. And I remember I spent a ton of time on Lustria Online, which was the Lizardman form. Um, and everyone was talking about the end times. And when Warhammer died, that was that was heartbreaking. I mean, that was that was beyond heartbreaking. It was literally like losing like a family member or like a beloved pet or something, which is something that you were like really love. And like it 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 like took my hate for 40k and like dialed it up to like a billion. <laughs> because I just like I was just so angry about it. Um and when Age of Sigmar came out, I hated Age of Sigmar. Like I bought the opening books. Um like I, I bought a collector's edition of the very first book they ever released. Um and I really did not like the direction they were going with the Stormcast Eternals because it was painfully obvious that they were Space Marines. Yeah. Um undeniably so. They were they were Space Marines. That's what Games Workshop wanted to sell them as. Um and I I was like I, I saw the rules where there was like, there were no points and the rules were a joke. Um, and I tried playing my lizard men and it was super weird. 
Um, I refused to get involved in the Romegate Wars because I hated the Stormcast so much, and I hated the rules and that there was no balance to the game whatsoever. Everything was just super wonky and dumb. Um, and then they released the Seraphon book where I found out that they turned all of my beloved Lizardmen into space demons. <laughs> we had the actual demon keyword. Uh, we were celestial demons and that I was like, nope, I'm done. Fucking done. So I, I, I had nothing to do with it. But the thing that kind of kept me going was that um, rumors started coming out about Total War Warhammer. And when I found out about that, I was like, oh my God. And I started hanging out on the Total War forums um, where I started what would end up becoming, at least at the time, the longest running thread ever in the history of the Total War forums, where I literally came on and was just like, hey, a lot of people are asking questions about Warhammer. I know a lot about Warhammer because I had started to collect all the army books and all the different Black Library books by that point. Um, I was like, you know, I can I can answer any questions you have. And I just started answering questions. Um, I would just answer questions all day on the form page, but eventually it got super unwieldy because someone would ask a question and I even had like people helping me run it to try and be like, oh, okay, he already answered that question, but it's on page 42 and scroll down to like the eighth response and that's the answer to your question. Um, And so I was finally like, okay, I'll just start a YouTube channel. Like I'll just figure out how to do this start a YouTube channel because it'll just be better organized. And that's how Loremaster of Sotek started. And then when Total War Warhammer came out, um, I got super hardcore into it and did everything I could to be involved um, and eventually attracted the notice of CA, which started that relationship. And, uh, uh, And the other thing was that before Total War Warhammer started, the hype was so high that I actually started teaching lessons on how to play Warhammer. So I found a website called Universal Battle uh, because this was before TTS existed or at least before I was aware of it. And uh, Universal Battle was a far inferior tool, but it functioned. And I used it to uh, to teach people how to play Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, some, I, like, I, I was even paid by a decent amount of people how to play the game. So I taught them the rules. I taught them to play. I got good at playing it again. Of course, I taught 8th edition because uh, I, I personally really, really enjoyed 8th. It wasn't perfect, but, I, but you know, we house-ruled a couple things uh, to make it, like, really, really fun. And, yeah. uh, like, you know, we made it where you couldn't you couldn't double-flee, um, or, 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 like, you could, like, double-fleeing wasn't allowed, and uh, we, we messed around. We, you know, we edited the rule for Steadfast a little bit, where if someone, like, charged you in the flank and they had two ranks, it would negate Steadfast and stuff like that. But, um... It was super fun, and uh, uh, now it's my job <laughs> and a hobby, so it's, you know, weird times. But, uh, yeah, so that's the background um, behind me and Nathan. I hope that's entertaining for anyone that maybe is is new to our communities and just maybe doesn't know us or what have you. And um, uh, I think with that, we are good to transition to the next segment, which uh, I think will be fairly quick, but it's just kind of a fun thing to talk about, which is this week's Who Would Win? Um, so for this week's Who Would Win, we're going to talk about a classic that I think I've heard a fair number of times. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious to hear Nathan's answer to it. I'm going to let Nathan go first. But for this week, we're doing... Um, we're 
Whoa, you got you just unleashed the sun. <laughs> you all right over there? <laughs> it's just getting dark, but apparently it's because the other lighting isn't done. Well, screw it, I'll stay in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> so, our who would win matchup for today, and chat, feel free to throw your opinions in uh, in the chat rooms. Um, here, I'll even do a poll in mine while uh, we're kind of discussing and getting into it. Who do you think would win uh, between Aberash, the, the first of the Blood Dragons, and Tyrion, the the defender of Ulthuan. I've got a question though. Tyrion with Widowmaker or without? Without. So classic Tyrion. So Tyrion with Sunfang. Uh his, his so his like usual equipment. Uh right. we'll we'll assume that Aberash has like magical armor and a magic weapon that like puts him in the same general ballpark. Uh, and we will also assume that uh, he is on horseback, so he's got a he's got a nightmare steed. Okay, and uh, he's uh, he's purified. Yeah, he's already drunk. Yes, as long this as is this is post dragon blood. Ooh, okay, that's gonna be quite a toughie, man. I mean, Aberash post dragon blood, very very competent fighter. Uh, no hindrance of any curse. And in in general, I mean, he is... Like, his life... Well, unlife has been based around going around the world and fighting. Whereas Tyrion... He's a good fighter, of course. He's got many thousands of years of um, plot armor. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah... <laughs> But honestly, I, I'd say Aberash because I think Aberash is pretty much he's he's actually like in law he's pretty much fought against like every single known race, hasn't he? At this point? Yeah, you know, Aberash has been around. Uh, obviously, he's super duper old. Um, uh, he has fought a lot of different beasties, and he's fought most, if not all, races at some point uh, in mm -hmm. Warhammer Fantasy lore. Um, so, what 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 do you think it is that would put Aberesh ahead? Like in your in your mind's eye, what is what is the situation that occurs uh, in that battle that causes Aberesh to come out on top? So I'm gonna have to say, given the fact that he's been constantly fighting and he's been moving around, he's been learning from different cultures as you go. Uh, it's very likely he's probably been to like Cafe and stuff like that. He's been he's been to areas which Tyrion might not have been to. It, it's very rare in law for him to leave Orphan, isn't it? He's more as a... I'm, I'm going to stay here and, and I'll, I'll leave if I have to, in a sense. It's more to meet an immediate threat, isn't it? Uh, generally, just because, you know, he's so busy on Ulthuan as the defender of Ulthuan that um, there yeah. are times he has left. You know, he's been to Lustria and some other places. Um, yeah. He he has traveled the world, but Tyrion is significantly younger than Aberash. You know, Tyrion's yeah. only Tyrion's only like five hundred years old, or no, more like I think he's like three fifty or four hundred years old. Something like that. Yeah. Aberash is like at minimum like three k, <laughs> probably older. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of a different elf when I said thousands. But either way, uh, I'd say Aberash, Aberash, with the experience of years, with the experience of fighting different cultures, learning, because this this guy is known to learn from what he fights. That's why a lot of uh, a lot of blood dragons are basically picked to be like the best of the best fighters throughout the world. I'd say Aberash is probably going to be best if 
Tyrion had Widowmaker, I think it would be obviously Tyrion, but then again, then Tyrion would probably die at the end. It's a bit of a. I don't know. <laughs> All right, so so uh, so you you think that when it comes down to it, Aberash's larger wealth of experience is what's going to yeah. be the is what's going to be like the damning factor. I think so. Yeah. All right, and uh, I, I did a, I did a brief poll in my chat, uh, and Aberash did come out just by a little bit. Um, I'm actually going to take the contrary opinion, though. Uh, I think, in my opinion, I think Tyrion would come out on top. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think, for me, the biggest thing is that Tyrion, at the end of the day, is literally the reincarnation of Anarion, right? So he is the reincarnation of, like, the greatest, one of the greatest warriors the fantasy universe has ever seen um, at the height of his power. Um, and he has all his fancy equipment. You know, he's got the dragon armor of Anarion, which makes him, uh, you know, immune to flames and very heavily protected. He's got Sunfang, which, you know, it cannot be understated the power of being able to, like, literally unleash full power dragon fire from your mm. sword and then he's also got that little pendant from Alario, which I think would actually be very, very key in his victory. And that, for me, what it comes down to is that, you know, Abrash, I will fully admit, has a disadvantage as far as I'm concerned, because we just don't know, we don't know that much of what he keeps on him. You know, Abrash has always been kind of the character where he tends to fight with whatever he has at the time. He's not really noted for, like, keeping a specialist set of weapons on him. Rather, he just, like, he's, like, a master of all. Um, to the extent that, like, he's genuinely a master at whatever weapon he picks up. Uh, yeah. And it can wield it to deadly effectiveness. Um, and he is a vampire. Um, not to mention a cured vampire. So, like, there's not going to be any weird mistakes due to, like, madness or craziness. Um, you know, and he's also, we know that dragons or, uh, vampires that have been cured, uh, tend to be even mightier than their regular counterparts. And Aberash is undeniably when it comes to pure martial warfare, um, yeah. the, the strongest of the vampires in martial combat, I should say, not necessarily warfare, but combat. Um, but, uh, I think even if you put them on opposing steeds, I do think Malhandir, um, Tyrion's mount would absolutely be a point in his favor. I don't think there's any vampiric steed Abrash could ever find that would allow him to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Malhinder. Uh So that gives a point to Tyrion in that he has a mount yeah. that he's been with for its entire life. And it's like a legendary mount that's the descendant of like the King of Horses or whatever. <laughs> it's like, it's so strong that it has a much higher profile. Um, and Abrash, of course, um, a, a note for anyone that's wondering about it is Abrash is not, a, he's not a skilled wizard. Abrash barely understands magic. And um, it's it's debatable if he even knows how to use it in like any meaningful way, other than just kind of like naturally throwing it out around him. Um, but he is not a wizard by any means of the imagination, which is why, again, you know, Games Workshop was always able to have this thing of like Vlad von Karstein is technically the strongest of the vampires. Because Vlad was a very powerful wizard in addition to being a very powerful warrior. Whereas, and being able to use magic is a big deal. But, um, yeah. so, and I do think that Aberash is definitely stronger than Tyrion. Um, like, I think as their swords would be going at each other, Tyrion would be the one that'd be like, Jesus Christ, whenever their blades are slamming into one another. 
But Tyrion is also used to fighting foes that are significantly stronger than him. As far as, like, battling the likes of Nakari, uh, the strongest keeper of secrets, or fighting, um, you know, mighty chaos champions, fighting the best Malekith has to offer, stuff like that. And I still think that at speed, I think they'd be even. Um, if anything, yeah. I think Tyrion might even be a little faster. Um, but I think ultimately what it comes down to is that um, Aberash is undeniably the most martially gifted of vampires, but I think being the most martially gifted of elves is a superior feat because vampires need to rely on that magic. And I think when it, like, I think uh, Aberash would be get through Sunfang and the dragon armor, like, fairly easily, but I think that heart would be a big thing because it'd basically be like fighting Vlad where you have this epic contest of these two that are so evenly matched. Like, I think we can both agree that Tyrion and Aberash are very, very much on the same skill level. Where, yeah. you know, Tyrion is such a mighty fighter that, like, even though Malekith can use magic, Malekith refuses to fight Tyrion because he doesn't want to risk getting his ass kicked by even when he has a dragon and he can cast magic. He's still scared of Tyrion. Yeah. Um, for good reason. Um, and I think the, the, the big thing is that it comes down to... Um, I do think Aberash would be able to land a killing blow. Like, they would be fighting and fighting, and Aberash would finally get that little edge on Tyrion and stab him, or, you know, tear out his throat or something. But then I think that heart of Avalorn would pulse, and that moment of surprise when Tyrion comes back to life, I it would be just like, I think, when he fought Urien Poisonblade, who was um, Malekith's, like, uber-assassin, that Malekith yeah. raised over, like, hundreds if not thousands of years from infancy to be, like, the most powerful killer in existence. In that it was literally just a fraction of a second mistake that allowed Tyrion to kill Poison Blade. And I think that's what would happen to Aberash too. Is that if Tyrion impales Aberash with Sunfang and activates it to burn him from the inside from Dragonfire, he's dead. He's totally dead. Yep. Um, and I, I think that's the thing for me. Is that I, Tyrion has a grace. Tyrion has like a, I can afford, he has a game over. He has one extra life. He, uh, assuming the heart works, which from a lore standpoint, it would definitely work. Um, so Tyrion's got one gotcha. He's got one charge of Vlad's ring, essentially. But no. but I could totally see it either way. That's just how I personally imagine it. Yeah, because you're talking about uh, Aberash going in and, you know, it's a clean stab. There's obviously one thing that we know about vampires is that they lose their fucking cool. So what if it's not just a stab and it's literally going in, breaking armor and just, you know, ripping into shreds? Yeah, I mean, that, that's an excellent question, too. Um, I, I think Aberash, fighting style-wise, tends to be much more finesse and much less, like, berserker rampage. That's more of Ushorin's thing, right? Ushorin was literally, like, the hulking monster, literally, where Ushorin was this giant Vargolf on steroids, who would literally yeah. just beat you into the dirt and rip you to pieces. Um, Aberash, you know, Aberash is literally so finessey and so skilled that when he fought Neferata, he literally impaled her with a lance perfectly so that the lance was like, like threading around her heart <laughs> so that it didn't kill her, but it basically paralyzed her. Like that's mm -hmm. how finessey he is. And I think that's how he would kill Tyrion is that he would go for the heart stab or the 
the slice of the throat. Like maybe I don't I don't know what the heart of Avalon would do in the case of a decapitation. Um but uh you know maybe it would like pulse fast enough to like seal his neck back together or something. Um but I think that's what it would come down to is how Abrash landed that killing blow. Because I do agree, I think Abrash would land the first killing blow. Um but I think Abrash is enough of a he's such a sword master. Like he's such a paragon of dueling and like combat that I think he would go for a clean kill, not a super messy, like I'm going to rip your arms off kind of thing. Do characters that lose their cool and they, they're known for clean kills and so on. Like for example, uh, Sigvald, when he basically goes for Krell and you know, he like, punches him to death. <laughs> yeah. Like, we, we don't generally hear that type of stuff, especially because obviously that's uh his hands are like they get deformed because of it and so on. So a character can easily lose his cool. We we've seen that with like let's be honest, a lot of Nagash's losses are because of him losing his cool and just mm. being typical, oh you know, and I'm gonna monologue now because that's what we do. Because that's what happened to him and Alcadizar and so on. Yeah, and, same thing uh, with Neferata. Neferata is another character that like she'll lose because she gets she gets riled up. Exactly, and I think that uh, maybe if the fight happens for too long, he would lose his cool and just go unleash the beast type of thing. It's certainly possible, and like, and and you know, it comes down to once more is we we just don't have enough information on what Aberesh has been up to, um, in like literally the thousands of years since we last saw him. I mean, Aberesh yeah. killed the Aberesh killed the red dragon like, <laughs> like like two thousand years before the modern day and supposedly he's been living like a monastic existence ever since then like basically just yeah. being a monk on a mountain um so but and and that's the thing is i think it would come down to what to what extent was his vampirism cured right like did drinking the dragon blood and meditating on a mountain or whatever the hell he's been doing since we last saw him like is he just like super at peace with himself and is kind of that stereotype of like the master swordsman that is like almost ethereal because he's so in control and calm and collected? Or is it that he still has that that monster inside, you know? Because the only the only other vampire we know of who has drank dragon blood and is still around is Zacharias. Um yeah. and Zacharias is still like a bastard. Um, yeah. but Zacharias has always been a bastard, whereas Abrash in life and much of his undeath was much more centered, um, than, than a lot, but uh, yeah. yeah, but I, like I said, I think this is actually a really fun matchup because it literally, I really could see it going either way as far as yeah. like, maybe even like, cause it comes down to maybe Abrash is just so well-trained and so well-honed that even if Tyrion came back to life and lunged at him, Aberash would be able to deal with it. Um, because who knows? He's, I mean, he's fought some crazy shit before. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe he lives by the double tap rule <laughs> after fighting so many other things where he's like, no, we, make sure, we really make sure this thing's dead. Um, but uh, I would love to see in the comment section um, for, because I'm going to, of course, going to upload this to YouTube. Um, and put it on podcast sites and stuff. If you're listening to this episode, uh, either in the comment section or, hey, add us on Twitter, you know, at me and uh, Nathan. Uh, let us know, based on what we've discussed, who do you think you would win? I would love to see your responses. It, it would be very curious, honestly. It would. Also, please, for the love of God, give us suggestions. Um, I'll, I'll say now, 
I will be collecting suggestions. Uh, I'm going to open up a place on my Discord that'll just be for suggestions on matchups. And also, you can put them below the videos. You can tweet them at us. But, like, help us. <laughs> Give us ideas for matchups. We, we want to know what y'all want to hear about. All right. Um, I, I think that's... Uh, you, feel, you feel good about that? Any other thoughts? Feel good. I feel good. All right. So there's one last thing on the agenda for today that we're going to talk about. And that's orcs. Or more accurately, orcs. So we're going to have a uh, discussion about AOS today. Um, like probably almost every episode. <laughs> and uh, today we're going to talk about how Uruks have evolved um, in Age of Sigmar. Because as we all know, um, they're no longer just classic fantasy orcs. Classic fantasy orcs existed in a single state in that they were large, simian-shaped brutes. Uh, and by simian, we mean that they're, they're built like gorillas, right? They had huge upper bodies, really like jutting tusks and fangs, really little legs. <laughs> and they had hulking shoulders and their arms would like almost be dragged, like their knuckles would drag the ground because their arms were like so oversized almost. Really big, fat, flat foreheads. And that was the only way they existed. It was just a matter of cultural difference in that savage orcs um, had like uh, uh, tribal paintings all over them and refused to work with anything more sophisticated than wood and uh, bone and stone. And then you had classic, yeah. And then you had classic orcs, which would basically just loot whatever um, and are traditionally in like leather hide, um, but built like chariots, um, built, you know, helped uh, rule over catapults because they would be the orc bullies, making sure the goblins behaved. Um, and you had like error boys and stuff. So they were like kind of approaching a lot of things in life. They would just do whatever worked. And then of course we had black orcs, which were just the ultimate chaos dwarf evolution of the orc to just be even bigger and hulkier and meaner, but they were purely hyper-focused on combat and wearing the heaviest armor possible. Um, and that's all they cared about was combat. Like they're so hyper-focused that other orcs find them boring and they find other orcs to be idiots <laughs> who are like super annoying uh, because they're too easily distracted. So that's that's what we started with. Um, now we're in the age of Age of Sigmar, where there are still three variants of orcs, but now they're drastically different. So we have savage orcs, which have evolved into being known as bone splitters. And bone splitters are the classic design. However, their culture is significantly different in that not only do they kind of eschew technology, but they are monster hunters. They specialize purely in the thrill of the hunt and going after the biggest, baddest monsters they can find and literally, like, carrying around Gork's teeth spears and, like, throwing spears that are so big it takes two orcs just to carry them. Um, and uh, they got all these crazy shamans and their whole thing is hunting down and harvesting monsters. Then we have the Iron Jaws, which are the evolution of the Black Orc. And um, it's a pure faction where the orcs are even bigger and even hulkier. Um, and they're all about just being dead hard. They're just dead hard. Um, and where the thickest plate they can possibly think of, they, they ride wyverns, but the wyverns like went through massive steroid treatment and they're thick with three C's. <laughs> uh, and then most interestingly, they introduced the cruel boys. Uh, the Cruel Boys, of course, being the most recent development, which are Swamp Orcs. And the Swamp Orc Cruel Boys 
are a very different design where they still have the classic orc design of smaller lower bodies smaller legs but they're they're much lankier and they're almost creepy looking in that they're they're a lot of people have compared their designs to many of the orcs we saw in lord of the rings films or especially the hobbit films where they kind of have they have a more stereotypically evil appearance um, and that they have almost goblinoid features and that they're, they have very pinched features and they just look like they're always scheming or conniving and like you really wouldn't want to see one or have one smile at you because it's going to be bad. And they're cruel. They're, they're orcs that fight dirty. They're orcs that use poison. They use toxins. They torture people. They torture monsters into obeying them. Um, they're big about capturing monsters and chaining them up and forcing them to serve them. They're cunning. Yes, exactly. They are the Mork. So they're the first, you know, in Warhammer Fantasy, I, I think it would be argued that Orcs were Gork, Goblins were Mork. Age of Sigmar instead said, no, 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 all Orcs are Gork and Mork, but now we've got Savage Orcs, which are Gork and Morka, which are the combined element. We've got Iron Jaws, which are pure Gork, so they're, they're brutal but cunning. And then now we've got Mork's boys, which are the cruel boys, which are cunning but brutal. Um, and it's a fascinating evolution. Like, they use giant range weapons. They've got their man-skewer, man-skewer-boltas, where they're these giant, huge crossbows um, that actually do a ton of mortal wounds and super-duper nasty. Um, they ride giant vulture monsters that are, like, called uh, killabeaks. And all this stuff. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So uh, Nathan, what what are your thoughts as far as like how the orcs have evolved and where we've where we've come from of just having the classic trio of black orc being a single unit type, essentially regular orcs, uh, which were the kind of the more inventive and classic, and then savage orcs to now bone splitters being an entire faction and culture. Um, uh, Iron Jaws being Black Orcs evolved into an entire faction of culture and Cruel Boys, which I guess some people could argue are similar to the more of the classic Orcs where they're very inventive and willing to create things. So, uh, interestingly enough, the Cruel Boys are not an original design. Uh, there used to be a miniature which had the same shield type and everything. Uh, a few miniatures way back in the day, I believe third or fourth edition running. Uh, I've actually got one somewhere. It's red. <laughs> but uh, it's an old, old style. So the Cruel Boys themselves are a reimagining of an old orc, which is actually really, really amazing because I'm part of a few old hammer groups, and I mean seriously old hammer. And a lot of people saw that as a, uh, as a really, really good thing because it was bringing back an old style, but just to an updated standard. Uh, I personally... As a uh, a fan of orcs in general, the cruel boys really look good, and they give me that feeling, like you said, it's it's more right. It's cunning but brutal, and it's something that we always uh, needed in representation of orcs. Because I mean, if we look at the um, <clears throat> if we look at like say for example in Warhammer Fantasy aspect, like the forest goblins, they worship the spider. There's gork and mork, but they worship the spider. And we already had that inclination of the bad mood for the, uh, was just very lightly hinted. Whereas when it comes to orcs, we had two gods, but 
it was never really established because it was always, is it or Gork or Mork? And it was always just that, it was a silly joke, let's be honest, when they could have given that thing where I would have seen it as this. I would have seen it in, in by Warhammer Fantasy standards, I would have seen Gork to be the old school orcs, uh, you know, like the boys, just the basic boys and so on and so forth. Uh, then I would have seen the uh, cruel boys or whatever they would have been called in earlier editions as more. Then the black orcs as the perfect molding of both. And then obviously the, then there's the, um, the savage orcs, which are kind of like the slow cousins. Um, <laughs> there would be like that you would have like a little bit of a triangle which links all uh, types of orcs. And I think we finally got that with Age of Sigma. I personally really like the minis. I think it's really cool that they are they're stylistically different. I personally like the more updated uh, Lord of the Rings-esque style because, yeah, I mean, it really... I was looking at the... Uh, what was it? The uh, Azog mini from, from Battle of Five Armies and I was like, fuck me, that's just... That's really a... Uh, yeah, as, Azog is literally the spitting image of a cruel boy. Yeah. I, I like it. I honestly think that the design is cool. The fact that this army has a lot of range, has it's so drastically different. It, it, it really gives you that feel of they're trying to finally expand the lore and just give it its own identity, which is desperately needed. I think uh, third edition is now pushing, uh, well, mid seconds going on to third now was pushing heavily on identity for Age of Sigma. So now we're getting new shit and everything's just like coming out and it's getting lore and it's getting, it's, it, it, it's, it's different, but it's the same. It's how, like, for example, the Lumineth were promoted as pointy elves, you know, and so on. We're, we're, like, I, I, I like these orcs and I, I don't like upfront getting in your face because upfront in your face gets you killed. I like being <laughs> Yeah. I like being from the back, shooting a fucking massive ball thrower right into someone's face because I know that I'm safe, but I'm taking that bastard down from, like, 50 yards away, you know? Yeah, and I, I think you struck on an excellent point earlier where I, I think in fantasy it could honestly be argued that just Mork really doesn't have a place in fantasy as mm -hmm. far as, like, a genuine... Like, the closest thing you could probably say is a genuine representation are, like, just regular goblins. Um, because you're right in that for night goblins, it's the bad moon. Um, even though they heavily insinuate that it's like a representation of Gork and Mork and therefore it's Mork. Um, and that like Skarsnik was heavily implied to be the avatar of Mork, um, during the end times, but it, it just didn't really feel right. Um, mm. in that like Gork and Mork are both orcs, like they're orc gods primarily. Um, mm. And that while the goblins respect Gork and Mork, and the goblins in particular Mork, um, it, it it did always feel like there was this weird disconnect. And we really saw them really go ham with that when they introduced the Gloom Spike Gets. They literally got rid of Mork's association with the goblins. Where they said, no, the Bad Moon is now a god and is worshipped as a god, even though it is, in a sense of all the um, destruction gods are essentially a facet of Gork and Morka or related to him in some way. Mm -hmm. They were like, yeah, no, the, the Gloom Spike gets have the Bad Moon. Um, and they all worship the Bad Moon. And that, but you know, they worship it in different ways, where the the night goblins worship it as literally just the Bad Moon, as an actual moon, 
and the um the spider fang grots which are the forest goblins worship it as a giant spider egg which is the most terrifying thing in imagination uh because they think uh it's a egg laid by the uh the spider god um and um mork now has finally stepped into having his own faction being the cruel boys um which and you know the thing that's funny is i i think one thing that you said that i really agree with is i do think that morkiness was represented in the orcs in fantasy just not as well because i would argue heavily and i think we kind of see this in how they're acting in that whenever orcs would act with tactics that was morkiness and mm -hmm. so there were kind of mork special characters but the mork special characters the the honestly the morkiest character was gore uh, was uh gorbad ironclaw mm. um gorbad's whole thing was he wasn't really that big of an orc he was not an especially like like he could fight and he could hold his own but his thing was that he was smart mm -hmm. and that he actually understood how to use tactics um you know you could say that gorfang rotgut was very morky in that he had an understanding of economics of all things <laughs> it was like really big on tactics and like stealth missions he was very clever and preferred to build up an empire of wealth as opposed to just smashing things as hag yeah. could be argued is very morky uh when nagash was even though that was mostly nagash and that he yeah. used tactics um and cleverness in order to be a threat whereas honestly the only really gorky orc character was grimgore you know grimgore ironhide just being like a big uh basha um yeah. and you know he's always been the incarnate of gork and that was super obvious but uh i i agree immensely that the cruel boys really just feel like a natural evolution of the likes of azhag and um uh gorbat where we have these and uh, even their special character the new special character the uh the, the mouth of mork so you have the fist of gork which is gordrak who is literally just grimgore ironhide on a wyvern on cocaine um yeah. uh copious amounts of cocaine <laughs> and steroids now we have the mouth of mork who is in functionality in a lot of ways just as hag but fully taken into the shaman angle um as opposed to a like an orc warlord that also happens to be able to cast magic because of a spirit being the gash um and he's this super clever and he's an anti-mage mage which is super fun for anyone that hasn't looked at this guy's lore he's amazing he rides on this giant vulture monster and he literally has an ability called mork says no <laughs> where he just stops you um he's horrifying he literally has a special role where if he ever stops you from miscasting he fills your guts with tapeworm squigs that start eating you from the inside out <laughs> my good lord terrifying ability so if you ever if you ever try and cast if this guy dispels you you take a mortal wound and if he gets a 10 or higher when trying to dispel you he does d3 mortal wounds which is brutal so he can like he's genuinely terrifying to go up against uh with other uh with wizards which is such a cool idea and that you have these guys that are playing dirty and playing smart um and i i agree absolutely with nathan 
that um it it really feels like a very natural evolution of what the orcs really should have been and finally giving them variety just beyond like not to not to throw shade at 40k but like 40k's orcs are all the same it's just a difference of like culture i guess or like yeah. like how they kill things is all that's different about them you know whether they're like we kill with swigs we kill with guns we kill with mechs whatever but they're just all orcs the greenskins yeah. in 40k are very boring and very basic other than they're just funny like they're funny i'll give them that they're very funny but that's all they've got going for them um whereas now fantasy greenskins are fascinating and have so many different cultures between all of the goblins the forest goblins the night goblins the likely upcoming Gitmob grots which are like the regular goblins with giant wolves and stuff uh all the trolls like trogoths have their own culture now and there's a lot of different kinds and now we've got three very distinct types of orcs which is just or oryx which are fascinating but uh, I think the big thing we were, uh, the last big question we're going to end on that I'm really curious for Nathan's opinion is how do you feel about the theory? Because it is a theory going around the community that Cruel Boys, um, Iron Jaws probably won't. But how do you feel about the idea that Cruel Boys will be playable in Warhammer the Old World? Bone squares. Put on, put on squares. Do it. Do it. Do it. Fucking do it. Second, uh, getting one of those spam bots attacking my chat. Uh, oh, those are fun. Delete. Uh, because the thing about the cruel boys, for anyone kind of listening, is that honestly, bar a few very narrow elements, um, they could very, very easily manifest within Warhammer Fantasy as just orcs from like they we've heard rumors that uh half orcs are coming to or no not rumors we've had it confirmed that half orcs which are a very very old school um unit from very very early like third edition like i think half orcs were written out of the setting by like fourth edition like they were gone already by then um, um half orcs are returning and I honestly think that the Cruel Boys are going to be the half-orcs. think that could work. I mean, I I've got a few of the guys on squares because I wanted to test it. Uh, I can't remember what exactly. So let me just check. Should I have... I think they're in the... Uh... In the other room, because we've got a bunch of uh, well, they're they're they're, they're scaled for like 25 mil, right? The same as regular orcs, yeah, they fit on the 25 mil bases, no problem. Uh, the uh, the ones with the uh, big crossbows they fit on the chariot base, uh, not a chariot base, uh, uh, oh, the the war machines, like the the the, the man skewers, yeah, they fit on on one of the specific uh, war machine bases, or I think, uh, I think it's, I think it's the beast skewer, is the big, yes. One. Yeah, yes. the, yeah, the big the so for anyone confused, the B skewa skewa is like a bolt thrower. It's not like a crossbow, it's like a big old honking bolt thrower. Whereas the yeah. man skewas are bolt throwers, like held by an individual orc. And the man skewers, I believe. Those, on... the, the man skewers should be 25 mil. Yeah, uh, 25, uh, 25 by 50 chariot, uh, sorry, uh, cavalry base. 
Oh, really? Oh, that makes sense because they are pretty. They are pretty large. So those were. Uh, uh, the, the, I've been checking them out uh, because a lot of people have been getting the models and so on, and we've all been chatting. And it's like th this is incredible because like uh, I would love for. Uh, I would love for these minis to be usable in Old World. I, I would absolutely love them. Um, we, we desperately need an Orc update. Like, even the Savage Orcs are um, a little dated. Um, they look good. They look good. But, like... Yeah, Skaven first. <laughs> Skaven, Beastmen, please. <laughs> Let's get those guys updated first. But, um, yeah, and, uh, like, I, I could definitely see Savage Orcs receiving a lot of love when they update the... Um, the, the green skins uh, for Warhammer Fantasy. Um, it would be if we got uh, like these guys. I, I, I love them. Like I'm, I'm gonna pull up the Games Workshop site now for them. Uh, oh God, that was loud. It we could not hear it on this end. If it makes you feel better. Sorry, <laughs> right, uh, someone just threw a donation. I, I uh, thank you, Ryan. You scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I thought I had that muted. Sorry. Oh God. Ah. I have this thing where I keep forgetting that the setting is really loud, so I'm I'm practically deaf at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm looking at the models now, right? And, you know, it's like there's so many cool things about these uh, cool boys. It's just they could uh, they could fit with the theme so so well. I mean, I'm looking at those uh, the, the swarm caller sh shamans, right? How how fucking cool are they, man? Like, I, I look at those models and I think, damn, they're so cool, you know? Oh yeah, and and I think the thing to say for anyone that's kind of like like oh how they the the biggest thing is will I'm hoping and I think a lot of people are hoping that models that make sense will make the journey to be viable in the old world, um, mm. you know where it's like I could see orcs with bolt throwers, I could see orcs. I could see the Swamp Kala Shamans. I could see all these guys. Now, will, like, the Killabeaks be in? Like, the giant vulture monsters? Probably not. Or, like, mm -hmm. the like the weird... Um, or, like, none of the special characters, obviously, are going to make that journey. Um, they're going to stay in AOS. But um, there is a lot of potential um, to use AOS where appropriate to expand these factions. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would argue that any of the mortal units that have been introduced or or new demons that have been introduced in aos would not fit perfectly in fantasy where it's like there's no reason slanesh couldn't have Lisbarb archers or mirmadesh praying bringers or nurgle couldn't have putrid blight kings or puscoil um or uh, uh puscoil knights or whatever they're called um uh or why corn can't have skull reapers and blood warriors and Zinch can't have Zongors and whatever the hell his little dudes are called. Um, so, I, you know, paying attention to AOS and, and I know Nathan has been doing this quite a bit, paying attention to can they fit on square models? Mm -hmm. um, and if the answer is yes, I, I, I don't think that's a coincidence a lot of the time. It comes to the point, like, for example, the Fiend Bloods, right? Uh, they fit on 40s, they fit on 50s, they look very good on 40s. Uh, I've been doing this a lot when I get the, because I, I've been doing a, a theme army project, so I've been actually picking up from all four Chaos Gods and doing my ultimate Warhammer Fantasy armies for each of the gods. So if I look at the uh, Chaos faction from Korn, uh, 
I've been using laser calling. There we go. Uh, I've actually been using Blood Warriors. I've been using Blood Warriors as Chaos Warriors of Corn. And uh, what I've done is I've just had to remove one arm of one guy to just give him a horn so I can have a musician. Because you've got a champion, you've got a banner bearer. You know, that's another thing that's important to note. A lot of stuff coming out recently has a full command. Like the Hobgrots has full command. Yeah? yeah, they've been they've been very busy being like because um, there was there was a bit in Age of Sigmar where they stopped doing that. Um, they stopped releasing full commands, but recently they've been going ham on being like, "Hey, here's your here's your battle standard bearer." Here's your standard bearer musician and champion for every unit, which they were they were not doing consistently through second edition. But as we got into late second edition and now third edition, they are going ham on musicians and standard bearers. Like it, it is insane. I remember. I, I think I was talking to. Uh, I don't know who I was talking to, but we were, I was looking at the the grass. I was like, it's a banner, champion, musician. This, like, it seems to, like, the stars are aligning, and, and like, some, someone, uh, there was another YouTuber, I can't remember who it was, but he's like, oh, you're thinking too much into this. It's like, of course I'm thinking too much into this, because, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> like, we haven't had hobgod bo uh, Hobgoblin bottles in fucking eons. <laughs> yeah, the, the Hobgrats, the Hobgrats are pretty special. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I'm really curious what GW is going to do with the Chaos Dwarfs. Like, we know that's on the horizon. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. The, so many men. Yeah, them. but that's a conversation for another day. Um, uh, chat. Uh, I'd like to kind of open the floor here, right here at the end, for any like immediate questions, um, or uh, that someone from either chat may have. Um, uh, as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, we we're over time, but that's fine. <laughs> um. Uh, so we'll just just a few minutes to try and and catch any kind of uh, relevant, I should say, <laughs> discussions. Uh, I mean, as long as it's you know Warhammer or Total War or AOS or something related. Think about cooking lasagnas. So whilst we wait, I've been looking at. Um using uh because i've got it here because i've been building them up you know the um peacock character from uh from the Gnutos kit right yeah the, the one that goes like that with like the feathers around i'm thinking of using that as a uh, bsb to be honest i think that would make an excellent battle standard bear i mean she's pretty isn't she okay so uh i've got a couple questions that have come in here um, so one question is, do I think, do we think that the old world tabletop game would be a way for creative assembly to add Age of Sigmar units to Total War if they are used in the old world? Discussed this in a video in the past. I actually said, well, if it gets added into old world, technically it's part of the canon. And I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think a lot of people would be very happy for that. Uh, I would if they decide, you know, like, oh yeah, the Hedonites are coming the old world, which means they can be usable in Warhammer 3, the DR3, just like when you're not there. Um, <laughs> just yeah. in case anyone's listening. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I personally am of the opinion that uh, it it's certainly possible 
I don't think we're going to see... I don't think Creative Assembly is going to bring in any units that were not part of 8th edition oh, or like End Times or like existed in the lore or White Dwarf magazines. Um, I think they may <clears throat> kind of pull some like funnies like they did with the Armored Squig Riders where they may kind of try and slide in some AOS units um, but not call them by their technical name. Or, uh, but I, I don't think you're going to see like full on um, bringing new factions or new full new units. Like, I, I don't think you'd see like the likes of Blissbarb Archers showing up or um, the likes of Skull Reapers of Corn. Um, there is a chance, though. I mean, um, one of the things that I, I think I've discussed a fair bit is that I don't I don't know what they're what they could honestly do with DLCs for the mono god factions based on the corn roster because the corn yeah. roster is literally just done like yeah. it's it's missing some special characters but that's it however if they decided to do a DLC where they did say hey here are blood warriors here are um skull reapers like things that showed up in the end times or things that could justifiably show up in fantasy then yeah you can make a DLC like that um, but I, I do think that for them, it's kind of like a weird stance. Cause I, I could, I think I can see what games workshop is thinking behind the gears in their head of why let them do that now when they can just keep total war Warhammer about like eighth edition era. And then after they do some other games, they can then release another video game. That's Warhammer, the old world where then they bring out all these toys. Um, but it, it also, also to be frank, Warhammer the Old World is not going to beat Total War Warhammer 3. <laughs> Total War Warhammer 3 is going to be way, it's going to be out way before the old, like, I, I would be shocked if Warhammer the Old World drops any purchasable minis next year. Um, and Total War Warhammer 3, at worst case scenario, is going to come out in, like, March of next year. And Total War Warhammer 3 is probably going to have a life cycle of somewhere in the ballpark to, like, two to four years. So, like, the old world is probably going to still be in its infancy um, by that point. So I, I would not look to the old world for content for Total War. Uh, I think it's going to be the other way around. The, uh, kind of seen it like this. Like, if they do an old world thing, it should just be, like, a standalone expansion in a very similar vein to... Uh... Was it Fallen Samurai for Shogun 2? Um, because if GW and CA want to start printing money, I don't think Old World would do it unless it's a standalone. Because if they want to start printing money, it needs to be Total War 140k. Yeah, and, and that's and that's something that like uh, ha seems literally guaranteed is that once Total War Warhammer 3 dies down. Uh, or, like, while it's in its DLC cycle, some historical game's going to come out. Historical game, hopefully, will be a big oh. success. And then after that, it'll, it'll be time for it'll be time for space and lasers. Um, God, I hope for free next. I'll uh, cry. <laughs> but uh, but I, as I said, I I think it's distinctly possible, and there's certainly an argument for it. But I wouldn't be I wouldn't bet on it for yeah. AOS stuff. Um, what would I, is there anything we would like to see for the bone splitters? That is like not a thing yet. 
Warhammer Fantasy version of a Squiggoth. A big. Oh, that would be cool. Just like a, I need a just just a giant monster covered in orcs, savage orcs that they caught. That yeah, that would be super cool. I would love to see a giant monster covered in that for like monster hunting that's covered in bone splitters. Uh, that yeah. and for me, for me, I want a special character for them. I want I want a new uh, I want a new Wargog shaman who's like the ultimate beast hunter um, leader. Um, because they don't they don't have a special character right now because they turned Wurzag into a generic <laughs> a generic shaman. I've got an interesting question, yeah. Uh y'all think GW doing uh old world stuff again, they look into other parts of history, like we'll get a look at the War of Vengeance or the First Invasion, maybe as a supplement? It yeah, I think that depends on how it goes down. Um if they release uh, the old world, and it's like a cr just amazing success. Then I could see them because it depends right on what they're gonna do. Is yeah. Warhammer the Old World gonna be like we release the starter factions in the Great War Against Chaos, and then we expand globally? So like we're still watching what's going on in that same time frame, but we're adding in the High Elves and the Dark Elves and the Loser Men and the Skaven and all these factions that may not be playable at launch. Uh, or may not have books at launch and new minis, or are they going to do Warhammer the Old World where it's just the Old World and those factions that are participating, and then maybe they do another t other time periods where it's like, okay, we're done with the Old World and the Great War Against Chaos. Now let's go do the War of Vengeance between the High Elves and the Dwarves. Now let's go do the Sundering. Now let's go do the Great Cataclysm in Lestria, or like the 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 War of the the Rat and the Serpent. Um, there's a lot of different ways they could do that. Um, and I I mean I think for me personally, I would prefer starting in the age of the Great War against Chaos, expanding it to be the entire globe, and then advancing the storyline to get us to see where it takes us. Um, you know we know we're gonna end in the end times eventually, but like there's you know there's. 200 years between those two points um worth exploring and if if they wanted to release a supplement people would buy it but those would probably be good like standalone boxes like a yeah. two three hundred dollar box set that comes with unique special characters and models that have unique designs and a rule book that's like here's how you play because most of those wars only include two factions that's the problem the age of vengeance is elves versus dwarves period the yeah. the the sundering hiles versus dark elves period like they're just not that exciting except for two guys which i just that's not a really good foundation for like a large setting yeah so i think it's going to be global uh we've already seen hints uh at other factions that weren't really too involved like for example uh they were involved but not so much like uh when they were doing the bretonia focus we already had uh high elf Icons showing up on the right-hand side. Uh, so we know Hyos are pretty much in, even though they haven't acknowledged it. And then recently, obviously, with, uh, when they did the map with you, uh, they showed off the Wood Elf icon in Alpha Lauren and in uh, the one that's in Midland, which I keep forgetting its name. Uh, Lorlorn. Lorlorn. Yeah. So obviously, uh, we know that we're going to start getting some more. Uh, the, the Wood Elves themselves weren't too involved when it came to the... Uh, Thing, but we could have imagined that they would have been because obviously there's always beastmen in the draft world, which would have caused a lot of issues and 
Yeah, you know? and, and yeah, that's the big thing is that, and, and you know, this is something I've been telling people about. I, I wouldn't say warning about, but like trying to like level with people is that the Great War Against Chaos we're heading into from Warhammer the Old World is not going to be the same one from OG Fantasy. It's going to be vastly expanded, and because it's being expanded, it's going to be heavily retconned. Where like in the original one, there were three high elves in the entire war. <laughs> you know, there was there was Teclas and his two Archmage buddies. And one of them dies, and that's it. Um, I mean, that's already been retconned in, like, if you play Chaos Bane, the most recent uh, the recent action RPG adventure game. Um, that's like Diablo, but Warhammer. That game features another High Elf mage who was not part of the original three, uh, which is a shame. That would have been cool. I would have liked if they had used one of them. But, um, uh, you know, that, that that's what they... Uh, I would highly expect that Games Workshop is going to have it where the High Elves have armies, not just Teclas and his buddies, and that the Wood Elves are going to do something, which they did not originally, and that the Bretonians are going to do something, which they really didn't originally, because uh, they were all just kind of busy dealing with their own crap. Um, you know, the Tomb Kings are going to be up to something. Like, a lot of people are going to be busy. Um, and I, I think that uh, it's going to be very exciting, but it's also, like, you know, like lore master job, like what I do isn't going anywhere because the timeline that I research and study is not going to be the same timeline we're going into. Yeah, we're going to be going into so many changes. It's kind of like uh, what happens to the Horus Heresy where so much lore has changed. Uh, so uh, a lot of us who like sit down, analyze lore changes and so on, it's kind of like starting again, in a sense. Yeah, basically. Oh, shit, this has changed. This it's like early on into the uh, time of Free Emperors. Doesn't Cetra go off in a hissy fit against the Norskans? Yeah, and I, honestly, I I still kind of expect that to happen. Uh, I think it's right before the Great War Against Chaos. Um, it's like right before the war starts, Cetra invades Norska, which would be awesome and would be a great way to introduce him of just be like, hey, there are Tomb Kings in Norska. <laughs> like, that would be really hype. But um, but like Kislev's empire is huge, um, yeah. like they they've already changed some of the lore where like Kislev's empire is much much larger than it was at that time period, where in Warhammer the Old World Kislev has held on to all of the territory east of um of um Peak pa or High Pass, so through Zorn Uzkul all the way up to the Eastern Steppes, which in their original lore they did not control that territory. Um, so, like, that's already changed significantly. That's what I found weird, because obviously, uh, early on in the law, they were fleeing from the East, because obviously they knew of the coming darkness and so on. They had, uh, Mr. basically saying, yeah, go West, uh, in a, in a very weird way. But this new Kislev, and this is actually that Kislev, the new Kislev that we've recently seen in that Old World post, I think that that's the kids that we're going to see in one free. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, for better or worse. Um, which, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the spooky thing. Like, we don't know if the Ancient Widow is still canon. I hope she's still canon. Because uh, yeah. she's a really cool character. We don't know if, like, playable hags are still going to be a thing. Um, like, with the Babas and all that. And, and that's, you know, that's the spooky part. Is that we're yeah. going into an age of change. And change is always scary. I like the idea of an expansion to Kislev because let's be honest, what there's like uh, four provinces with a total of what twelve actual settlements 
if that was just kids left alone, that would be kind of depressing. Well, uh, and like, and based on the trailer uh, for Total War Warhammer Three, it, it seems highly likely that at least in the game three standalone, um, I I don't think Katarin's going to be anywhere near Kislev. Katarin's like way out east doing shit. Um, I I, I don't th- I think that maybe what's his face Rasputin um <laughs> will start in. I think he's going to start near Kislev. I actually don't think. Oh my gosh, what just happened? Uh oh. Uh oh. We good? You back? <laughs> uh, well, you 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 froze. Yeah, you also froze. <laughs> Weird. Uh, um, yeah. So you were at, I think, at the trailer for Double War One Three, and then it froze. Okay. So I, uh, what I was saying is that in the trailer, uh, Katarin appears to be very very far away from yeah. uh, Kislev, and her faction is even called like the something expedition. Like she's mm. not she's not Kislev the faction. She is a expedition that has left Kislev and is doing something else. Um which I do think is going to be the case at least in to Warhammer 3. Uh but I don't know. We'll have to see. I mean we're almost to September. It's almost time for Cathay. It's almost time. Very excited. I'm scared, but I'm also excited. I'm scared. <laughs> I am very very scared because uh Law changes, uh, look, I'll be very, very honest, right? I'm scared they're going to make Cafe uh, a Mary Sue faction. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think for me, the thing I'm big scared about is that, like, I, the thing that was so amazing about the Warhammer of the past is that they were almost brutally not caring about just, like, finding really cool historical and mythological shit from whatever the culture they were stealing from was based on, and just being like, let's just make it into something different, but, like, you can still see the reference and yeah. and go with it. Um, and I I almost worry about them, like, worry being worried about, like, offending, uh, like, being a little too... I don't want them to worry too much about, like, Oh, we need to be like super careful and make sure we don't like Warhammerify it too much. It's like, nah, Warhammerify the shit out of it. <laughs> you know? Um, but we'll have to see what happens. Get real Warhammer. Like, th- this is a. Uh, my, my idea is like, damn, man, like, we're finally getting cafe. This is a, this is a dream for hobbyists for like years, right? And like, don't make them. Mary Sue, good guys, because Cafe was always established to be like a good faction, but leaning towards the morally gray. It's what made them so impressive. Yeah, they they definitely had shenanigans, and I I, I don't think I I genuinely do not think they're gonna make Cathay just like blame good guys because they've done a good job of like all the faction, all the order factions in the game like still have that flavor of they are order. But they're not necessarily like great. Like the Empire has a lot of problems. Um, the dwarves have problems. The elves have problems. Uh, K- we've seen already that Kislev has a lot going on. Uh, it's got some serious issues and demons in their closet. And I think I think uh, I think that we're gonna see the exact same thing with Cathay. I mean, I hope so. I, and if Cathay works really well, man, like. There's potential in the future for like Ind, Nippon, uh, Quresh, maybe like all, yeah. all this, all this stuff, and I, I hope this freaking works because as 
this is not me being a Total War fan. This is me being a, a Warhammer Fantasy fan. I want it all. I want no, it all. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Like, um, like I, I want this game to explode and for them to go, oh, wow, people really like these new human factions. What if we did End? And then for End to explode and them go, okay, what if we keep going? And, like, let's try, let's be crazy and try it upon. Oh, wow, people really like that. Uh uh here's koresh oh people really like that all right here's your here's your southern realms expedition oh wow people really like that like you know just fill out the planet <laughs> exactly give us everything because first off we will buy it right like that fan base they they cannibalize these dlcs yeah they they want more content because obviously they're obsessed with it you've seen this do you go on steam db yeah this shit's crazy it's insane how high the numbers are for Warhammer 2, considering that the game is, what, four years old now, and the end of its lifespan, and still so many people playing every single day. It's like, just keep milking the freaking game. Milk it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> please. Um, and you know, I, I would love to see them just go complete hand with it, too. Like, now that Mercenaries introduced, like, really allow us to see more of that stuff. Like, I know a lot of people would really love to see humans from other cultures, especially, like, not super white cultures like okay can we make the amazons a full playable race well no probably not but could we like introduce amazons as units that are like mercenaries you can get from like amazon island or something yeah that'd be awesome uh get us some like super beastly dark-skinned women and just let them like just snooze like just just spear people to death great i'm on you know get let us see like um interpretations of like zulu tribesmen if you're in the southlands stuff like that um, that would be cool. I'm never going to stop talking about that. Araby. Yeah, Araby. Yeah. Uh, Araby, I, 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 I may be a fool, but I, I still genuinely believe Araby has a place waiting for them at the golden table of the Southern Realms playability. But um, uh, I think that would be a good stopping point for the day. Um, I, I think I, I, I guess I should in the future just assume that we're a three-hour podcast instead of a two-hour podcast because that's what we did. But uh, hopefully everyone had fun and, and enjoyed the discussions. Um, uh, this was the second episode of Lorebeards. We'll be continuing to do this. Uh, we are off for this upcoming Sunday. Uh, so there will be no Lorebeards this Sunday. But there will be Lorebeards next Sunday. I think. We'd have to, push it. We'd have to make it a bit earlier. I think it's timing Metal Festival. I'm actually getting my first concert in two years. We'll let you know when the next episode of Lorebeards is. We'll, we'll figure it out. But it's definitely not this Sunday. Um, yeah. It'll be sometime next week. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know. Um, but uh, as I said, hopefully you all enjoyed it. Uh, for anyone um, that is uh, wanting to know where else you can catch this, I will be uploading the VOD of this onto my YouTube channel uh, immediately afterwards. Um, it'll probably take about an hour or two for it to be up and available um and glorious 360 pixels unless you want to wait a little longer uh, and then it'll be up in 1080 eventually um also uh i will take the audio from this recording and put it on all of the podcasts uh areas which if there is anywhere you would like to listen to lord beers as a podcast or you think it would do well as a podcast and you want to have lord beards added to that please reach out to me on twitter um, and I will do, I'll see what I can do as far as getting it up there. Uh, I know a lot of people want us added onto Apple podcasts, which I am looking into doing this week. So, um, Nathan, if you've got any, uh, final words as we're closing up here. As usual, it'll be up, uh, on my channel, whenever YouTube processes it, 
And uh, when we get back, because uh, we already kind of started planning the next one, didn't we? Yeah, uh, it, yeah, it won't be that. It, it'll be sometime next week. Ish. Right. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. So we, 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 we'll, we'll come up with, obviously every episode is going to be as different as possible, but still like with the same format and so on. And hopefully you guys are enjoying it because uh, I think this is pretty fun, honestly. Yeah, and, and hopefully we'll have more tricks and tools. Um, I, I have uh, started doing my best to try and get us some art, and uh, maybe we can get like an opening song and some other shenanigans at some point. Um, we'll see. But uh, thank you all for watching. Thank you all for supporting the podcast, uh, you know, by just listening to it. And of course, uh, if you want to support either of us, you can always check us out on our various live streams. Uh, you can find Nathan at the Great Book of Grudges over on YouTube and also Twitter, which is at T Grudges, if memory serves. Bing? Yeah, pretty sure. Uh, and you can find me uh, at, at L Sotech on Twitter. Um, also, YouTube, um, uh, Loremaster Sotech. And uh, also on Twitch at www.twitch.tv slash Loremaster Sotech. So thank you all so much for watching. Uh, I think that's going to be a wrap for us, and we'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for watching, guys. Bye.